The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. I also want to bring to you Yukonuba Sporting Dog, the premium performance 3020 blend. For the last 50 years, Yukonuba has created premium nutrition that unlocks the power and potential within. From the unstoppable performance of the sporting dogs to the life-saving abilities of working dogs to the incredible companionship of service animals and family pets. Check out Yukonuba Sporting Dog today and go pick up a bag of the 3020 premium performance blend and guys last but not least i want to thank my affiliates lion country supply and garmin fish and hunt go check them out today for the spring training season all right so just a couple of things a couple of thoughts a couple of announcements you know i gotta open up the podcast with this guy so we are making serious 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 strides and headway with the minority outdoor alliance incorporated um so if y'all don't mind i need y'all to do me one huge favor um my listeners and supporters and and everybody that has been you know here to to support the podcast i mean for however long i've been doing this at this point now guys go over on your instagram profile all right, go over and type in Minority Outdoor Alliance. All right, one word, um, no underscores, no anything like that. And go ahead and start following the Minority Outdoor Alliance to get updates on what we're doing. Um, you know, as the weeks go by, I really want to, you know, get the ball rolling well on this. And we've got a lot of support coming in from a, a number of different directions. So stay tuned and, and, and kind of keep that in your uh, periphery. And we'll move that to the front of the vision very, very, very soon. All right. So who we have on this particular episode today is Michael Kennedy. Um, you know, a, a, a new and very, very good buddy of mine. We've been chatting on and off back and forth um, just about bird dog stories, field trials and things like that. And he's actually offered some really, really, really um, cool stories, insightful stuff. Um, and just, you know, every so often just throws me a bone as far as, you know, some something I did not know. Um, and and I, I appreciate him for that. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to start off. Um, I got a couple of listener questions that came in. Um, just some thoughts, man. Like, I, I feel like I've been off for a minute. Just uh, it ain't been that long, but it's been long enough. Um, longer than, than what I usually like to, to release podcasts. So anyway, guys, um, stay in there with me, man. This is a, a, a good episode. Um, I think there's a lot to be addressed a lot to be said and 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 we creeping up man hunting season is trying to show its head again so pretty soon you know everybody's timelines will be filled up with with first day out or or new puppy this new puppy that um you know i also want to shout out kellen crow and nick larson for for some new puppies as well so um you know if you guys get a chance if you know them you know uh, tell them congrats they Ellen just got a new pointer and, and, and Nick should have a new setter. Um, so, yeah, you know, just buddies that I speak to and, you know, just a little shout out. Um, also, man, there have been 
loads and loads and loads of support for the recent podcast that I've been on um, from the Orvis podcast to the Wild Huntsman podcast. Um, I, I, I can't thank y'all enough. Can't thank the gentleman who offered me the opportunity to be a guest on their episodes. I can't thank them enough. You know, um, you know, the editors in chief that that let me write for them. everybody, man. It's just been a good year, man. I don't think 2020 should be seen as, as a washout year. But anyway, um, with that being said, I got a few things in mind uh, for this episode. So stay tuned, rock out with me, and uh, we will catch y'all at the end. First of all, make sure I'm recording. There we go. All right. What I want to do is just kind of have a little bit of extra company um, and get some of you guys' thoughts. I want to answer the listener questions and go over some thoughts. I know it's been a little bit longer than what I uh, normally do to produce podcasts. I've been trying to get them out every week, but, um, you know, as most of y'all know, I've been working on uh, the nonprofit Minority Outdoor Alliance which um, officially got 501c3 status. Thank God that is a blessing. Um, and shout out to my wife for, for, for setting that up. Um, I tell people all the time, marry up, <laughs> marry a lawyer. <laughs> but um, while folks are coming in, I want to just kind of remind you guys to go and uh, hang on, raise the volume. Can you hear that waterfowl pointer? I hope so. All right. Um, I hope you can hear it at least. So if you guys can't hear me, let me know because I can change up everything. But right now my phone is not synced to my uh, my computer. So anyway, marry up because they, you know, the women of your life will help you get nonprofit started. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want to kind of go over some of the things that I've written down, some thoughts that I've kind of been rolling around in my head over the last since I published the episode with um, Julia Brock. And also my last episode with Julia Brock, y'all probably if you, if you heard about heard it already. Um, you probably noticed a part of the intro that shouldn't have been in the intro, but a little bit after the um, Yukonuba and Lion Country Supply and Garmin, you know, sponsored uh, promotions and stuff. You guys probably heard that. I fixed it so you can go back and listen to that episode without that interruption. Um, so my apologies on that one. But anyway, what I kind of want to get into, um, first of all, you guys let me know if y'all would rather hear the announcements and thoughts and stuff before or after the interview. That's something that I'm kind of um, curious about. I've already interviewed Michael Kennedy and I'll go ahead and put this up today after I record this, but um, and of course I'll edit it, chop it and stuff like that. But some of the things that I wanted to talk about um, is this idea of like living and, and working simply right. And, and, and staying working and things like that. But in order to do that, I have gone to before. Okay. 
Chris, I'm gonna take your word on that, buddy. <laughs> um, so we'll end on we'll we'll end on a high note then uh, with Michael Kennedy. But some of the things that I want to talk about as far as bird dogs and things, and I sit back and and sit up at god awful hours of the night thinking, writing um, things like that about how to make um, my efforts and, 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 and tenure into bird dogs and stuff like that. Like, how do I make that simpler? You know, I mean, I, I, I've done everything from preaching about putting a dog on top of a barrel, which is great. You know, I love it. My dog is, is, is totally broke to, to wing shot and fall. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it, but I also think the dedication to that particular, um, training method also has a lot to do with it. And what I mean by that is sticking to a program. Everybody knows I'm a bit of a mutt when it comes to um, when it comes to learning training styles and stuff like that. I kind of I guess I see dog training as as like going to school. You know, you had different teachers for different things um, and they all taught you different lessons. And I say this in the in the, the Michael Kennedy uh, interview also, but you you have different teachers to teach you different things. And at the end of the day, all of those teachers are trying to get you to the same end goal. The way that I think about that is there's a lot of different training methods. There's a lot of different ways to get a dog to um, to do something significant, like standing in place after a bird flushes and things like that. Um, and that's that's great. That's dope. You know, it it's. Everybody has their own way of doing something. Um, I just wanted to narrow it down to a much more focused way. Uh, Blair Matthew 88 says, help me get a program set up and we'll break my dog, man. You did it. Well, thank you, Blair. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, and, and Blair knows I'm always open to, to, you know, folks reach out to me and things like that. I don't know how to train a whole bunch of dogs, but I know how to train mine. And I know what I did to get mine there. And that, again, is another reason why I want to get into talking about simpler methods. Um, there's an article that I wrote that should be coming out um, very soon um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in uh, the Quail Forever uh, magazine, the, the upcoming one. But there's an article that I wrote talking about this and, and just talking about first year dogs and, and things like that. But where I where I've come to is using the Ronnie Smith book written by um, Reed Bryant, um, the the Orvis and, and Reed Bryant collaboration uh, with Ronnie Smith Kennels. Well, the reason that I picked that, so I, I I keep this book here, the the best way to train your gun dog, the Delmar Smith method. I keep this book on my desk. I mean, it you know it, it it's um there's a couple of them that I keep, but I I, I keep this one. Um, on my desk and in conjunction, you know, with that below it, I have uh, this book. So I use them in tan in tandem and that's training bird dogs with Ronnie Smith kennels. Um, I am usually pretty torn about what method I like to use. There's a lot of good ones and, and a lot of trainers I follow Um they pretty much identify with the style of work that I, 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 the way that I choose to handle my dog. Um, but when I thought about it, you know, I've, I've, I've started to give, um, like 
after I gave that one bird dog demonstration in uh in Thomasville, it really got me thinking. How do I simplify this? Because I was loading up my truck. Um, I was, uh, you know, just packing a lot of stuff, two dogs, which is not a lot. You know, I mean, there are people that carry dog trailers, but for one man, I'm being a one man show. Um, I got two kennels, two dogs, you know, food, water. Um, and then I packed this, this barrel, right? Like I packed this barrel with these two concrete blocks and I don't want to scratch up the stage. So then, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I mess around and, uh, put a tarp down, you know, and, and it was a lot, it was a kind of a lot to it and it was on a stage. So it was, it was convenient to, to be able to do that. Um, and I would still have to figure out how to, in, in a situation like that, which is rare, I would still have to figure out how to set up a woe post situation, but it's doable. But anyway, I say all that to say I was carrying a lot of stuff. I was carrying a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> and to be able to just get out and at the, the drop of a dime, get to doing a little bit of dog work to, to refresh, like that's something that really strikes me as very, very um that that's something that strikes me as as very very interesting so i was like all right well and 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 where that thought also comes from is i've i've gotten obviously y'all know i've gotten into tinkara you know fishing and uh using a tinkara pole and and that's because my best fishing comes from a cane pole. I don't know why I cannot use a rod and reel, but <laughs> my best fishing comes from a cane pole and it always has. Um, I don't know what it is about it, but I absolutely enjoy it. Well, kind of like that barrel, that cane pole was kind of long and, and just kind of, I mean, it's just a long pole. You know, you got to stick it through the window of your truck or whatever like that. I mean, you can break it into pieces, but it's still a long device. Well, when I got my Tinkara rod, um, I mean, it was quick, man. You just collapse the thing and I mean, it's, it's done. You know, that's it. There's nothing else to it. Well, um, you know, when you go to the next spot, I mean, it's super convenient. And I was like, all right, well, what if dog training could be this convenient yet still very, very, very effective? Well, after I was studying all of these different techniques, um, Two obviously come to mind the the Mo Lindley, you know, and that's the, that's the steady with style or, or West Given Givens, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different components or trainers within that particular method. So we'll go with steady with style um, that particular method um, using hang on. Using this book, Training with Mo um, by Martha Greenlee. Well, that was also very, very, very simple. Well, the thing is, between the Ronnie Smith method or the Delmar Smith method, the Smith family, Hunt Smith, whatever you want to call it, and the Lindley method, like those were the most simple for me. Um, and I liked what the woe post could do. I could take a young dog out um, and set up a post in no time. You know, all I need is literally a mallet and uh, 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 a piece of rebar to stick it in the ground and two check cords. Like to me that significantly diminishes um, the amount of work that you have to do to train a dog. Like, and in this article, I, I, I write about not 
um, not spending a whole lot of money on training supplies and stuff. And I, I'm the first person to to sit and wear a, a Filson hat or an Orvis hat or something like that. You know, like it's, it's I, I, I enjoy those companies for the, the, the materials and the quality and things like that. I'm the first person to put in a purchase at, at Lion Gunter Supply when I need it. But when it comes down to the bare bones of getting somebody into bird dogs um, in the least invasive way, something that I, I, I learned while I was working at Apple. They had this thing about going about things in the, the, the most least invasive way. When we were fixing computers, you know, what's the, the thing that's not going to cost the most money? And as a representative in this particular um, community, I want to start modeling that for myself. You know, so I started learning this, this, this woe post method and I started doing it um, so I can teach my next pup, the setter pup that I'm planning on getting. Um, and I, I like the barrel. I, I love everything about it and it's good. But what I'm also seeing and, and, and I'd be willing to test this on a puppy. But what I also noticed was when Vegas was itty bitty and I was getting him, you know, I was putting him at the food bowl and things like that. I was already putting a, um, a, a wonder lead on his flank anyway and kind of just lifting up on it and teaching him woe at the food bowl. Well, that to me is a much easier transition from the food bowl to the woe post outside. Um, that's that's just a much easier transition and getting them on a barrel. That's great. Like I, I found so many benefits to it, but I'm starting to think that that is a lot easier to work on styling and getting a dog to understand to just stand in place. You know, you can't go anywhere. Dogs usually respond better when their feet are off the ground. But I also like the pressure at the flank because I'm going from the food bowl to the woe post. And then from there, I'm going to the e-collar on the flank and I'm going to use a flank collar um, uh, for all of my dogs. I mean, I, I just think it's way more effective and then transfer that flank collar uh, to the neck. You follow my order. Um, the Houndsman of America. What's up, Delvin? He says, but you have encouraged me to work the woe post more. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so that's kind of, you know, something that I'm thinking about. Just the Ronnie Smith book um, was something that I have been just when we, we when we get our first dog, you, you go through all of these trainers and you're like, well, who do I follow? You know, who whose method or that I think it just really comes down to do you vibe with the trainer? You know what I'm saying? Like you got some teachers in school that you just cool with. I mean, you get their work because it's it's just the teacher. You know what I'm saying? They could they could be teaching basket weaving and you're gonna be a pro at it just because it's that well, that's kind of how I feel about um the Ronnie Smith method. You know, Casey Casey Owens, what's up? What's up? Um, you know, I um I just think that there's some bird dog, you know, guys out there that just got it. Like, I don't know what it is about Delmar's speech in that book. And then it gets translated over to Ronnie Smith stuff. And then, uh, and, and, and Reed is also a, a, a great storyteller and things like that. So they had a, a, a heck of a person to even write the book. Also, I think that has a lot to do with it, but it's the way 
that these ideas are communicated. And if it's that simple for me, then I imagine it's that simple for the dog as well. You know, um, I just don't want to have to rely on a whole lot of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, a, a, it, it just doesn't, that's not the, that's not working simply to me. Um, and you have dogs with a lot of natural talent. Um, and I'm, and I'm talking about in areas where you have birds, you might have few birds or you might have no birds and you still got to get work done, you know, in the process. Um, because if I, if I'm really talking about working simply, I'd be, you know, more like the field trial guys that go up north to the Dakotas and Canada and stuff like that. I just let my dogs run <laughs> and let them figure out, you know what I'm saying, how to, you know, find point and hold birds. But that is also something that is not always available to everybody. Um, one other thing that I also want to talk about as far as working simply, um, spending time with your birds, I have killed a lot of birds at this point in time. I mean, for both of my dog, my lab and my pointer, some intentionally, some, you know, I I could have raised them better in order for them to be more productive. Um, It's something that I also noticed. The guys that I buy my birds from, my pigeons, they are... They, they, they are, I don't know what it is. I would like to do some research on, uh, cause I know this, this, a lot of stuff like falconry and aviary sports, I guess, or, 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 or training, like a lot of that happens in the middle East. And the two guys that I purchased my birds from are middle Eastern. Um, and they are very, very, very close to their, their pigeons, you know, it, it's it's um it's a very like spiritual thing that I get from them, and they and, and they know I train bird dogs, you know, um, and they know that I'm not letting my dogs catch pigeons, but you know, I mean, they're they're still raising these birds and, and doing a, a great job at it. Well, one thing that you know, one of the guys Vic was telling me, he was Vic was like, uh, you know, don't let if you, if you're gonna you know work with these birds, don't let your 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 coop or the 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 lot of your birds see you do anything that is that could be seen as harmful to the bird that you're training with it was like because then they'll stop homing to you and i never really thought about that you know i i I didn't that's not really something that people talk about you know with with bird dogs and i've got this other um book that i want to go through it's called um, the genius of birds. That's what it's called. I'm, I'm looking at it on my thing. It's called the genius of birds. And basically we need to, I, I think it'd be smart to spend just as much time caring about your pigeons as we do your bird dogs. Um, there is just a, something I've noticed about birds coming back to you. You know, you can get them to be trained to home and stuff like that, but they should want to come back home. And and and, and these guys are just very obviously they're bird they're they're pigeon breeders. You know, they they've got a lot of different kinds of birds, but mainly pigeons. Um, 
And I just I, I look at the way that they interact with all of these. And and then going back to the Delmar Smith book, like if you look at those stories inside, he had a bond with Delmar had a bond with all of his animals. And I, I just think that's an important thing, man. Um, that's kind of why I, I've kind of moved away from being so interested in, in killing. You know what I'm saying? Like seeing or, or, or getting my, my quail when I had them, um, I had them for a few months actually and getting them to literally come back down the hill from my training grounds. Like you had to go up a hill and then walk up a little bit and, and you're there, but they would come back down the hill and always come back to the loft. Um, part of that has to do with flock mentality, obviously, or, or covey mentality. But I noticed that even, I mean, it was, it was the repetition. And I, and I just think that there's something within those birds they could very well leave. And, and, and I had a few that never did return and they were in there the same amount of time as the other. So I just wonder what draws them to coming back in addition to the rest of the covey. You know, because I had a few that could have covered up out there elsewhere. Um, it's food. It's just things like that that I think about. Um, I probably overthink it, but um, I want to be more responsible with the amount of pigeons that I have. And if you get some good flying birds, you don't really need a whole lot of you don't really need a whole lot of them. You can get three If dogs learning threes. You can get three pigeons, get them to home, keep them in there about six, you know, six, seven weeks. And work your dog off of that. Um, you know, now one thing that I am running into is like Vegas. Vegas sours up on pigeons. Um, so I can't really use him that often because he knows the game. But again, if we're talking about simplicity for a young dog, you don't really need that much. Um, so that's that's something that I've been, you know, working through and, and filtering out of my training uh, process, just transitioning um, into uh, simplicity. You know, I, I think that when we can't take anything away from the dog, like when you, when, when you, when there's no more check cord to be taken away, when there's no more e-collar to be taken away, when there's nothing else and you're just running that dog on hell, you can take his regular, you know, uh, metal plate, brass plated collar off, you know, you can go that far, you know, but when you can truly run a dog without the aid of a bunch of other materials like that to me is when we we've, we've really boiled it down, you know, and you get out of the truck and you're not unloading a whole bunch of stuff. You, you know, it's just a couple of, you know, a couple of things, maybe unload your water, put your game vest on and get to rolling. Um, now, that is not to negate the the safety and, and things like that of, of e-collar. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I want to be fully confident and trust that I could run my dog with nothing on, run him naked, and I'm still going to be able to function with that dog as if he had a collar on and things like that. And I really think that that has more to do with less stuff and more um or being more in tune with points of contact it's all of those things so those are some of my my um 
my things and 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 the items that I I've I've kind of filtered down. I I took a list of like what's the most important things that I use and and all of that stuff. Um, some of the most important items for me are the Wonder Lead, you know, from uh from the Delmar Smith Wonder Lead. Um, and with that, it's kind of interesting. You can the Wonder Lead from Delmar Smith. It has a stopper on it. So that's probably the best part of it, but a stopper wears out. So if you don't want that stopper, you can go to tractor supply and get you some pig and string. I mean, it, you can get a whole lot of it for nothing and just cut it. Um, a pinch collar, you know, that's the piece from um, the West Gibbon style that I also like. And it's also in the Delmar book. Um, that's one of my essentials, um, the leather pinch collar and uh, two check cords. And I, I like having two sizes. Um Yep, J Slip one folks were running bird running dogs long before we turned into 21st century techno bird warriors. That is actually true. That's something that I think about all the time. Like what were we doing beforehand? And these dogs were just as good as ours. You know, so that's something I think. But um two check cords, one puppy sized one, um, and one regular sized lead. And and you can keep those forever. I still use my puppy sized lead for um woe post and things like that and you can transition them out if you got a dog that's not responding on a woe post with the smaller lead you just put the bigger one on there they'll usually you know get there um what's going on for my new folks that join um the other thing that i like is um the pigeon pole so i've got a long one and a short one both take nothing to make um i've got a three to four foot pole you know that i just you know, tether couple of feet of string on, put the bird on it and so on and so forth. And that actually helped me steady up my dogs. And then I, I went to Home Depot and bought like a 20 foot half inch diameter PVC pipe. It was a couple of not PVC. um Yeah, PVC pipe. Um, and that same piece of rebar that I can use for a woe post, I can use that for a tall pigeon pole, you know, and then you can get a young dog going off of that. Um, obviously, most of us have a hammer or a mallet. Keep that in the back of the truck. Um, a tip up trap and a blank pistol, or, you know, before I got an end, and it is my granddaddy's old 410, um, a couple of pigeons from a reliable breeder and, and you're off to, to the races. Um, I wonder if I could even simplify it, boil that down. But those are like the things that, that if I, if I can't get out of this, you know, if, if, if I can't have a lot, I would have those things. Everything else, um, you know, the launchers and stuff like that's cool. Um, but again, techno warriors, man, like I'm, I'm trying to find a way to slowly move away from that, you know, um, and just get down to the bare bones, the simplest thing you can use. You're going to need stuff. I mean, you're going to need some things. But what you know, what is what is the thing that what, what are the things that are absolutely essential um, when you get there. And, and those are just some of mine. Um, so <laughs> that's that part. Now, I wanted to also um, talk about some of the listener questions um, that you guys posted. I wanted to add this in here, too. Um, so I want to start with uh, Mick Mullaney, uh, Ice Monkey 21. Um, Mick actually purchased some artwork from me um, a while back of his lab. So I wanted to uh, thank, thank him for that. Hold on one second before we get Dex to GSP ever work a four-year-old that's gun shy. I've no, never worked a four-year-old that's gun shy. Um, 
my main question is how how did he how did how did a dog that old get gun shy? Um, let's let's chat about that for a little bit. Um, just a discussion, but I'd love you know to to have a conversation about that. Um, that's kind of old for a dog to be gun shy. Um, I worked one, took me 15 months to get them in shape. Waterfowl pointer. Let me know what you, what you, what you did for that. Um, while we do that, I want to chat about Mick Milady's, uh, uh, question. Mick says, oh, he wants to know about my trip to Purcell farms. Um, all right. So the trip to Purcell farms was cool. I've been up there twice now. Um, just hanging out with my buddies at, at, um, Orvis, um, getting to know them a little bit better. Um, you know, a lot of y'all probably saw the writing and stuff that I did with them earlier. Um, so my wife and I just wanted to, to kind of get, you know, get out and, uh, go see something else other than the, the, the walls of our house. <laughs> and, and grandmama decided that she would, uh, keep our daughter. Um, so Purcell Farms was cool, man. I got a chance to do a couple of things that that I didn't do last time. Number one was work on their new wobble trap that they got there, which was super cool. Um, very interesting. Presented a whole bunch of different kinds of shots. Um, seldom do I shoot trap. So that was kind of refreshing to get that change. Um, when I do go out and shoot, I do a lot of um, I do a lot of uh, uh, of skeet. Um, not even really sporting clays a lot, but skeet most of the time. So it was good to, to get out there. Um, the thing I liked about that wobble trap was not the upward shots or the left and right. My issue was, was the shots that were like, that were sailing low, you know, they were, they were released and they were sailing low. And my, my, my biggest issue was I kept shooting. I wasn't dropping my gun <laughs> low enough. Um, I wasn't putting the, 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 it, it's interesting what it does when you put that butt stock on your cheek and go ahead and throw the barrel of that gun. I shoot a 30 inch barrel. So, you, I mean, you really got to swing it. Um, I was shooting ahead of the bird thinking that I was shooting, you know, right on, on, on point and, and I wasn't. Um, so just dropping that and picking a piece of that bird. And, and I try to focus on like, maybe the butt end of the clay um, usually because I, so I have a tendency to overswing sometimes. Um, in this case, I wasn't swinging enough. And so that was interesting to get that kind of um, get cleaned up in that area on the wobble trap. Um, I also got a chance. The other piece that was really cool was um, I got a chance to shoot the Orvis uh, Cesar Garini Tiempo. Um, and 20 gauge and those 28 inch barrels. And then the Caesar Garini um, Elos D2 in 12 gauge. Now I ain't shot a 12 gauge in a long time. <laughs> so it felt good to shoot. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was definitely cool. Um, my, my, my favorite of, of the two though. Um, and if it was in 30 inch barrels, I probably put it up there with my, my, my Beretta, but Mine was a tempo, man, that that 20 gauge because um, you weak. Oh, so <laughs> here, here go my friends, my wife's side zone and then Plody gets on here talking, talking trash. All right. So this is going to be one of those kind of podcasts today. <laughs> no, Plody is because I shoot better than you. I don't need a 12 gauge since we want to do that. 
Um, and and I'm I'm willing to put money on that as well. So there you go, Plody. Next time we 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 got money on the board. Um, <laughs> um, and you can keep your twelve gauge at that. All right, I will. Uh, I, I'll I'll shoot with my 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 twenty, and if it, if it makes you feel better, I'll shoot with a twenty eight. Still out shoot you, but um, you know, the the twenty gauge was my favorite in that Caesar Garini. Um. And why not switch a setter for the next pup, Steve Lane? The setter is my next pup. Um, that is what we're looking at from uh, Alder Fork English setters, uh, my buddy Paul. So back to um, Plody, I want to hear your thoughts on this. So Dex, the GSP, adopted a four-year-old GSP that's gun shy. Um and so, Plody, I want to I want to hear your uh, answers to that. Um, Plody also says, "Come up here and watch me drop coil with my four ten in one hand and the check cord in the other." All right, so we'll do four tens. That's fine. I got a single barrel four ten that's one hundred one years old, and I will still wax you with it. So anyway, uh, Steve Lane, uh, why the switch to a setter? Honestly, I like setters. I do. Um, they're like long haired pointers to me. I guess. Um, they're a little bit different temperament, but I like setters. I think they're beautiful dogs. Um, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I don't really want a continental breed. I mean, there's like one or two that I, that I think are cool. Um, but I just like pointers and setters. And the other reason is Paul has some very, very, very good, um, good blood going on in, in, in his kennel. Um, and we've been talking about it for a while. Um, I, my fingers are crossed to get a pup out of his um, bitch Casita. Um, I just really like that dog. And then the sire that he has his eyes on, I won't, I won't say who it is, but the sire that he has his eyes on is a very, very, very good um, trial dog. So, you know, I guide, I, 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 I'm getting it more into field trials and things like that. I just like a setter on the string. Um, you know, I'll always still have one more pointer, but I, I think it was a good opportunity. So that was, uh, that was the, the, the Purcell farms trip before Plody came in and, and, and interrupted. But like I said, Plody, I want to hear what you think about a four-year-old, um, GSP that's gun shy. I also think Dex, the GSP that, um, when you adopted him, did you meet the owner and, and what were the reasons why they were um, getting rid of the dog? You know, got my GSP because the original owner said he was a dud hunting dog. Could have been a dud. Yep, that was exactly where we were going. So Dex GSP says he got his GSP because the original owner said he was a dud hunting dog. Could have been a dud trainer. Well, the thing about that, I'm going to call him a dud trainer because, number one, dogs are not born gun shy. No dog wakes up in the morning and sits here and says, I don't like guns. OK, they're they're, they're they were not born into like an anti-gun household or something like that. That's not how that works. Um, it sounds to me that that dog probably got to blowing you know, barrels and barrels worth of ammo and things like that around that dog. Very, very, very young. Um, I don't know, banging pots and pans around him. Um, probably shooting too close. 
Um, unfortunately, and I and I will say this, my my biggest thing about German short hair pointers, and I I like to talk trash about them, and and yeah, I'm, I'm gonna talk trash, but at, at the end of the day, a good dog is a good dog. Um, the thing is, so many people get short hairs, and they are the wrong people to have either that dog or that type of dog. One or because it, what happens is people get so excited. Um, and I've seen this before out training with buddies and stuff like that. And they're, let's see if he's gunshot by shooting over it. Um, yeah, like people get these, these young dogs and get out there and want to see the dog point and want to get to hunting and probably, you know, dude festing it up with, with their buddies and stuff like that. Take the dog out. And next thing you know, you didn't scare the dog off trying to show off or, or just shooting too soon and got no patience. Um, Plody says that's a long road to travel. But if the dog likes birds, there's a chance for it to come back. But again, it takes some time and money letting the dog chase and catch birds even eating them to build it. And that is another piece of very, very good advice from uh, Senor Plody um, to build it up. And he also says um, eating those birds, catching them, things like that helps build it up and make them confident enough to bring them back to the gun um, slowly. I, I, I just don't. That to me, there's just enough information out there that says do not make your dog gun shy. And it's been around for longer than four years. So to me, it sounds like that trainer, number one, did what he shouldn't have done and was too, too impatient. But number two, I wonder if the dude got another gun, uh, not another, another dog. Because if that's the case, he's probably just going to make that dog gun shy again. It's, the dog wasn't a dud. Um, and I have a hard time, you know, I have a hard time thinking that a short hair is, is just randomly gun shy. Um, Tuck Tuck Goose One says, I think it depends on the dog, not the age. Each dog is wired differently. I have worked dogs that we shot over by 16 weeks and others not nearly to a year. Right. They all mature differently. Um, and 16 weeks isn't bad. Both of my dogs were introduced to the gun by around the same time, roughly around 16 to 20 weeks, give or take. Um, and you, I, I just think you should pay attention, observe, um, let the dog chase birds well far away. And this is just what I do. And this is what I've done for both of my dogs. Um, you know, this is a conversation just about methods and things like that. But I just let my dog run, you know, 40, 50, 60 yards out before I fire a gun and I, I fire a blank pistol. I don't go firing a 12 gauge or nothing like that. Something that is just God awful loud. No, I fire a 22, a blank 22 pistol. Um, and that's the same gun I still use to this day um, for training and things like that. But when I want to work them up, I, I just do the same thing. Let them run off and chase birds. The first 22 will probably get his attention and he'll look at you with that weird head cock and be like, oh, all right. And he should just go back to chasing that bird. All right. When you do it again, after a couple of times like that, you just move, you know, move up the, 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 the gauge or the, you know, the gauge of the gun, but that's not, that's a thing that takes time. 
And it just it it really kind of makes me grit my teeth when I sit and hear trainers say the dog was a dud. Well, mm, probably not. Um, Dex GSP says I'm trying to teach him woe and steady right now, and he seems to respond well, but he scares off at the sound of the gun even at long distance. I imagine I imagine if that dog has seen that he's got you're going to spend some time and some money. I mean, you you can get him steady and stuff like that. What if you take what if you took out, you know, a blank pistol or something like that and didn't take your gun? That'd be that'd probably be the other way I'd go about it. Let him eat birds, kill and and things like that. Yeah. Well, instead, is your last priority. Yes. Plody says that. Um I mean, you can steady him up all day, but you're still you. St- I mean, you still got to get him to a gun. Um, I would spend my time letting that dog kill birds, kill birds, kill birds, and like putting it, making a killer out of them. You know, and then slowly start to introduce very, very light gunfire. I mean, I'd I'd even take a a, a twenty two. Um. Lodi says, yep, build confidence. I'd even take a 22 way down the road and get the lightest shooting caps that I can find once that dog is fully, fully, fully invested in the birds. Um, so you guys can keep chatting about that. Um, I want to go on to the next listener question. Um, so live and let vive, V-I-V. Um, he says, what barriers beginners need to overcome to be successful? Um, barriers that I see, <laughs> number one, not shooting over your dog too soon. Um, not getting tied up into, and, and these are my, I'm just thinking about my own personal experiences, not getting tied up into the hype of having a new dog and not, um, or and or or and just wanting to take him out, but slowing down. I think that's a mental barrier is for guys to slow down, especially with a point and breed. Everybody wants that tail to be twelve o'clock, and that's not realistic. And some of them are. I mean, like I can look at Mo Lindley's dogs now, the pups he's got on the ground, and them dogs are tight. But mine wasn't. You know, Vegas didn't get tight till closer to a year i mean you know he had a little kink in his tail for a second and then he it just straightened out you know just for whatever our reason um the other barriers is buying a whole bunch of stuff like i said earlier um you don't really need a lot plody on here was and it was somebody that definitely um reinforced that to me but a pinch collar and a check cord man that i mean that's it. The barriers um, new people also face not not giving up on the dog and, and learning. I, I don't think when people get their first dogs that they think about what it means to read a dog and not just like, oh, like he gets hyped up on feathers and birds and things like that. But like for the first week, just walk around with a dog, screw around with them, introduce them to people, hide from them in the woods and things like that, like. It's a it's a mental game, um, you know. Uh, barriers to become successful. Um, Blair Matthews eighty eight consistency. Yep, another mental piece. You know, doing something every day, but then not doing it too much. That's the thing, especially with pups. Um, 
their attention span ain't that long. You know, I usually try to do things in sets of threes and work up to three. If I get one good one out of that pup on the first go, I am done. And that's like a, a, a baby, you know, and then I, I move on up to try to get two and things like that. But it's also when you start seeing a dog doing what you want him to do and you kind of like, oh, shoot, this is working out. Let me keep going. No, nah, don't keep going. <laughs> Save it for another day because you need them. You still need them hyped up and worked up. Um, you still need them worked up tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Um, something else off the top of my head that I can think about um, putting a shot collar or, or an electric collar on them too soon. Don't. You know, until I, I think watching someone use an e-collar first is crucial. You can you can look up stuff online and all of that stuff, but watch somebody do it first before you go, because then you, you get a burn up dog and, and, and now you got a whole nother world of problems. Um, You know, I'm a big believer of just letting a dog have its first year. So if it takes a year for that bird to, I mean, that dog to knock and chase and do all kinds of stuff with birds, then it just takes a year. But you have to see that process through. And usually people get a dog and by the first year, they're out trying to hunt with their buddies. And it it just doesn't work like that all the time. Everyone is different. You can have a dog that's 16 weeks old and is just like a rock star. And, that, and, and, a, and a dog out of that same litter is litter mate it take a whole year to deal with. Um, I'm also not really into like, Oh, I can get a dog. Whoa, broke in like 90 days. Um, that's kind of weird to me. I mean, it's impressive, but it's kind of weird because that that's, there are trainers out there that like, that is what they pride themselves in. And like, that's cool, but it really does depend on the dog. And I think having that and setting that precedent for, or, or expectation. We already live in like a super microwave culture. Everybody wants things right now and, and right there. Like, no, that is not the same for everybody. Why are we all so concerned with studying our dogs so early? I don't know, Plody. <laughs> One thing that I've noticed that people love to do is get a dog woe broke super early and also um, retrieving something about retrieving for like pointing dog guys. And, and for some reason, a lot of versatile guys that I've met, it's like, it, it, and this is my thing. And, and I, it, it's always good to have a dog to retrieve and things like that. That's great. That's dope. But I don't know, man. I just see so many people focusing on like, they're like super heavy on a retrieve and a versatile dog why not just let the dog learn its point and, and learn how to manage and handle birds and not be steady and not have to retrieve all the time. Like it, it, it if you want to retrieve that bad, just get a lab. Just serious. I'm, I'm sorry. Like imploded. We're going to talk about silence there too, because that's a problem of mine and I'm slowly fixing um, slowly, but successfully fixing. But on the retrieve, like so many people with pointing dogs 
are hell bent on getting a retrieve. And I just don't understand it. It's great. Like, and, and I, and I do it with my, my, with Vegas, like, I wasn't hell bent on it, but like I would just look at him picking up sticks and things like that and just running around with him. And instead of taking them from him, I just call him to me with the stick in his mouth and just keep walking. So he never thought I was actually going to ever take it. And I still never did. And for the longest time, I just did not focus on that. And later on, when I have to do a little bit more formal retrieve with him now, it's not a problem. You know, as long as that's something fun, like I just I just think I don't think that should be the first thing that we get. dog. I mean, I, I don't know what it is about people and versatile dogs being so bent on retrieving. I don't get it. But, you know, you focus on that and it's like, oh, great. My dog can fetch and he can do this. But your dog can't point. Eh. Or your 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 dog is, is not learning to handle birds in a way that's appropriate with his developmental level. You know, it's, it's just things like that. Um, another barrier for, for guys coming in is silence. Um, my wife said Vegas always had a stick in his mouth when he was younger. Yes. He still always does. Um, Plody brings up a good point about silence. Shut up. <laughs> he's told me that I have told myself that my wife tells me shut up all the time. And it's, it's a lesson that we all need to learn. Stop talking. Um, that was something that I've gotten way, way, way better about, um, as of recent, um, in me trying to learn this, this new, um, uh, uh this new, um, technique, this, 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 uh, Ronnie Smith technique, Jesus Christ, I had a brain fart, but just being quiet, you know, it was enforced and, and emphasized in the Lindley book. And for some odd reason, I, I still was doing a lot of talking. And, and, and I think that comes with the development as a trainer, too. You know, you realize that body language is a much more meaningful gesture than than talking. Um, so that that's that part of it. Um Let's see. So, Plody, you're spot on with that. Ashley says we were like, where did, yeah, Vegas used to find random sticks. Man, it'd be huge, like like twice his size. And I'd be like, why are you why are you doing that? But whatever. Um, Waterfall Pointer says over here in Germany, too, nobody has a good pointing dog anymore. Um, I just I I don't know what that is about that, man. Um, but I'm glad German Germany, you know, y'all are experiencing some of the same questions I have. Uh, J Bruno 08 question GSP with a finished title. How hard it would it be to train upland now? Um, all of our focus was H R C H. I would like to start on upland as well. Um, shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> I would start with, you know, the same foundation as you've always had. I mean, as long as you, you've obviously not made them gun shy or anything like that. You, you've not taken anything out of them. Um, you know, I, he's going to be more inclined to retrieving obviously, but I don't see why that would be a problem to, to start in upland. I mean, he's got, if he's got the natural ability to do it, you'll just be starting a little, a little later on it. Don't see, I don't see that being a problem. Um, let's see, let's see. Anthony C. Grimaldi, um, Nastra, AKSA, et cetera, standards, duration, format, the breeds that typically excel in each, um, I'm actually going to do a, a an, an episode with 
those individuals, um, those individual organizations, because that's it's a lot longer for me to answer <laughs> than a short format. But um, I, I mean, I think it's pretty much across the board um, in all of those venues generally with American Field, the dogs that I've seen successful um, for traditional American Field and usually horseback is pointers and setters. I mean, that's just what I see. There's some short hairs out there that do really well. Um, but if I'm just looking at stats and numbers and, and winners, it's usually pointers and setters. Um, Nastra, I see a combination of a lot of Britneys, a lot of short hairs, a lot of pointers and a handful of setters and Nastra. Um, AKC uh, probably say it's a little bit more of a mixed bag, but usually short hairs is the ones that I'm seeing that have excelled in AKC. Um, you know, it just, it depends on the venue. It, that's kind of a, that's a huge question, but the dogs that I've seen most successful just across the board, pointers, setters, Britney's short hairs. Um, and there are others that do well and they're the outlier liars, but usually that's been the, the, the general thing. Um, let's see, let's see. W L F K E N S W L F Kins, uh, dog nutrition and conditioning when to feed 30, 20 versus 28, 18, how much and how hard to work a dog each day. I think that depends on the dog. Um, and I also think it depends on what you're, when you're feeding it. I actually don't transition my dogs off of 30, 20 at all. I don't, I don't personally, um, got no reason to And 30, 20 is what keeps both of my dogs right at the, the, my desired weight. Um, 2018, obviously less active, um, need less to burn, you know, need less calories to burn. Um, so during the season, if I had to pick one to feed during the season, definitely 30, 20, um, how much and how hard to work a dog each day. Again, I, I think it depends on what you're working on and, and, and how old the dog is. There's a lot of variables in that. Um, but generally I try to stick to, you know, twice a day if I can. Um, or if you're going to do more, do very, very short sessions, um, even in those twice a days, I really don't do much more with my, with my, my dogs. They're a little bit older. So Vegas is like 17 or 18 months. Ruger is almost four. Um, with heat here, I usually do probably two or three reps. I might throw a fourth one in there just to put a little icing on the cake, but that's, that's usually it. It's just way too hot here. Um, and the morning is too hot and in the middle of the day is too hot and at night is too hot. And usually in the morning, I don't get enough of a breeze. So that's the thing about in Georgia, but I mean, how hard to work a dog each day. I wonder what, how hard means. Um, I just think it's about repetitions. You know, you do something, you try to end on a good note. So if I need to do something, if I'm giving my dog three reps of something that he is learning, that is totally unfamiliar and totally new to him. If he's not doing well on rep one, I'm going to try for rep two. And and if he doesn't do well there, you know, 
give him an opportunity on a third to do something that he knows he's doing well. You know, obviously you'll put in your corrections there, very light corrections. Um, and just, it, it takes time um, through my mail letters here. So through, throughout the week, you know, you, you gradually do that, but I don't increase the amount of times that I'm doing something until the dog is like, the dog knows the game, you know, he knows, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. And then around about the time that around about that time, you'll get a young dog, throw you the middle finger and say, I'm not doing this regardless. And you just keep working with them. Um, but I mean, 15, 20 minutes a day is well enough for, especially nowadays, you don't really need to keep a dog out. And especially with my older dogs, um, I don't, um, oh, something got dropped off. Hang on. Yep. Um, with my, with my dogs now, I don't really do a lot with them. I mean, they're in the kennel most of the day and I, I let them out to play and walk and things like that. But as far as training, once they got it, they got it. And I keep them tuned up at this point in time. Um, I know I seem to post a lot of content and, and mostly cause it's a lot of photos, but I'm not really doing long bouts of training. You know, when I'm, when I'm working on road and I'm having them pull me on a bike and that's been successful. Um, I haven't been doing much of it recently because it's just way too hot to be trying to road dogs here right now. Um, but even when I was doing that, I let them go for increments of, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And, and then I think the we worked up to 30 minutes you know, and that was a few miles, but I mean, that's really it. You don't really have to do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot all the time. Cause after a while you sour them up. Um, I like to think about giving my dog something to, to, to want to do later on. Like sometimes I just walk out to the kennels and talk to them, but I don't, you know, I don't take them out to do work all the time. Um, and then as a see, as we get closer to the season, you know, I'll give them tune up some things like that. Um, so yeah, and this live will cut off in about a minute and 41 seconds and I'll just tune back in in a second. Um, so y'all are, y'all definitely encouraged to come back. I'm going to finish up some listener questions. Um, uh, me for M E F O R G I O N E is my next listener question. And they say, um, how to get kids involved in the sport recommendations for equipment and shooting instruction. Um, okay. So this is it's a good question. Um, before I get into that waterfowl pointer says I train my dog all year long. So he's in shape and well trained for the season. Just a few minutes every day, like steady and some retrieving weight dummies because I work on upland and waterfowl. Yeah. So, I mean, you can keep them tuned up, but you just don't need to be like working them all the time. Like they're just levels to it. And I think once a dog has it, don't keep beating it down on them. You know, just give them some time to to think about it. You know, give them some time to, to wonder why is that other dog coming out of the kennel? You know, what are they doing? Um, and year round, I mean, I think a life of bird dogs means a a life of some kind of training year round, 
but the level to which you do it, that that's where it starts to change. Um, so guys, 10 seconds is about to cut off. I will log back in um, and I will get to the next listener question. coming back on in appreciate it all right so as we were uh <laughs> one o'clock beer love it <laughs> it's always it, it's always good to to get that little swig in there um you know it, it's always good to do that <laughs> but anywho um my next thing me for Gion. M-E-F-O-R-G-I-O-N-E. I don't know how to pronounce that, but yeah. Um, how to get kids involved in the sport. Recommendations for equipment, shooting instruction, um, and things like that. All right. I'll work backwards. Shooting instruction, my... I'm going to put the, 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 the faith in the friendship that I have with the guys at Orvis and say, go to... Um, the Orvis website, go through their catalog and things like that and go look for shooting instruction. Um, there you can go to Purcell farms. You, you can go to a, a bunch of different places and usually they have, um, you know, locations for shooting instructions and in, 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 in a variety of different States and things like that. Um, I say that to say, I have met their shooting instructors, before, instructors before, um, I think it was James Ross, um, met them. They're super great guys. If you go to any of their um, locations, like I said, for example, Purcell Farms, because that's the one closest to me, um, and I got a hat on, but they're, I know for a fact their shooting instruct instructors are top of the line. You know, they know what they're doing. They are also the ones that practice fre frequently all the time. Um, they even helped me out, you know, some when I was there. So I put my faith in the Orvis company in that regard. Um, also recommendations, if you want to do it yourself, go to the project upland, um, podcast. So Nick Larson also talks to, and I think he has a, a, an instructor on there recently that was talking about some, some shooting instructing instruction and history and all, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, the Project Upland podcast also has that information in addition to the Orvis Hunting and Shooting podcast. So you've got two auditory resources and one place that I know for the money. Um, I don't think it's outrageous to put your 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 money into Orvis. I mean, it's not even a crazy expense, but to me, it's like private school shooting. Like I, I went to private school my whole life and that expectation is is something that you will receive before it's all over. Um, Brit K9. Thanks. Found Joe Plody through your podcast and brought my Brittany to him from Florida. He's doing a great job with her. She came from South Georgia. Joe, you know, I'm glad that you, uh, you got a good recommendation. Brit K9. Thank you for, 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 for saying that about Plody. That's my buddy. You know, I'm gonna talk trash to him, but that's my buddy. 
Um, and he does a great job. I hope he's also got a um, reach out to him. There's a seminar coming up that he's 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 doing um, as well. I can uh, I have to get the ad and, and post that soon. Um, but back to the listener question. So recommendations for equipment. Um, get you a a, a, a a an affordable gun, however, you know, whatever affordable is. Um, I stick to break opens. Um, you don't need to pay an arm and a leg for it. Um, get you a pinch collar. Um, get you a good check cord. So go to Lion Country Supply and get the I use the LCS custom uh, check cord. I hear people talking about their cords get torn up and bent up or not bent up, but torn up and broken and things like that. I don't understand how that happens, but I've had the same check cord for years now. Um, but, you know, whatever. Go to Lion Country Supply and get your stuff from there um, for equipment. At some point in time, you're going to need a, um, an, a an electronic collar. Um, if that's the, the method that you choose to use, which I would hope you do for a lot of different reasons. But when you do get that collar, um, get a Garmin Pro 550, man, like Pro 550 Plus. That's what I use. Um, they sponsor the podcast. But also, um, even if they didn't, I, that's just the system that I would would use anyway. Um I love it. It's great. I don't really need a whole lot else. Um, and equipment. I mean, you don't, you, you should not need a lot for to train a dog, you know, get you find the, 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 the book that you want to use, I guess the training manual, um, and some gas money, man, like, you know, gas money. Um, Remington 870 is a good one. Um, I started with an 870, I, no problems with that gun at all. Um, I'm just, like I said, I'm a break open guy. So I'm always going to refer to that for the safety aspect. Um, now how do we get more kids interested? Um, that is a, that's a large question too. Let me make sure that I went over the recommendation or the, the equipment stuff. I kind of went over earlier in this podcast and I listed some of the things that I, I have. So kind of refer back there. Um, how to get kids inter- involved in the sport. I think a lot of it has to do with representation and putting it, you know, making it available to them um, success. So not taking, you know, if you hunt wild birds, like I wouldn't take a kid that's never hunted before on a, on a hunt for wild birds. Like they need to be successful. So don't be above sitting out pen raised birds, you know, for them to shoot and, and, Make it about them, you know, make the experience about them, not about the dog work and not about killing anything. But you get kids involved by being the role model that that you hope that they see and also, you know, putting them in areas where they're successful, Um, you know, making it, you know, showing them the 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 everything that goes into working a dog, but not making it so didactic or, or, or academic like most of us here. And on this, you know, podcast, we're all looking for the advanced levels of training and this and that. And like kids aren't going to listen to that, man. They just want to have a good time. I, I teach now I teach, I taught sixth grade art. I'm moving up to eighth grade this year and I've taught everything from sixth grade to 12th grade. And one common thing is, especially for something that is not mandatory and it will not affect their life. Bird dogs, very similar to art. 
it's it's just gotta be interesting, man. It's it's gotta vibe with them um and resonate with them on that level. Um you know get them involved in the process, you know, um, help them, you know, take them to the bird box, help them catch birds, you know, tell them about things, help them, you know, as long as they don't kill the bird, have them spin the birds around and stuff like that for, to, to plant them, like show them the entire process, you know, and then cook for them at the end. Everybody like a good meal and, and, and kids are going to be hungry afterwards. Let them, you know, teach them about what it is that they're doing. Kids are usually invested when, when they, when they see the entire picture. Um, but I also think getting more kids involved starts at the college level versus even high school, like kids under the age of like 17, in my opinion, usually their attention is, is very, very, very here and now, and then gone. Um, what I'm also trying to do with the minority outdoor Alliance is bring in minorities, of course, but when I focus on the youth I'm being specific. I'm not focusing on little kids. That's dope. That's great. And it's, it's no shade or anything like that on it. But the kids in college are the ones that are going to are going to um, last. You know, the folks under 21 years old that that are still, you know, trying to figure out where life is. Well, this is something that they'll they'll kind of sink their teeth into. And then if they've got like a, a younger brother or something like that or a younger sister, that's not quite where they are, then, you know, that it just kind of trickles on from there. Um, it's great to do youth hunts. It's great to, you know, do all of these things for, for, like I said, 17 and under, but a lot of the times you have to have parental consent, which can be a barrier. Um, so getting their parents involved and understand that, like those are the kind of that's the kind of red tape that you're going to jump over with getting um, kids involved in, in the the initiatives that I've done with, you know, clubs and youth hunts and things like that. And just kind of brainstorming. Those are the trends that I've seen. Um, so let's see. Um, Paolo. Tolu, Paolo underscore Tolu, have you ever experienced the bird dog world in Europe, more specifically in Italy? Because I noticed there are a lot of differences between those two worlds. I have never been to Europe, um, never crossed the big old pond, um, met plenty of people from over there, but I've never been to Europe. I'm looking forward to it. Um, there are differences and, and namely why you get the argument of English pointer versus the pointer, right? Like that's that's a common argument. Um, and it's a very valid one. Um, I, to me, tomato, tomato, I choose to say pointer, but at the end of the day, I get it. Um, I'm not going to dictate. I'm not one of the people that likes to dictate <laughs> what you call your dog. Um, but European dogs, particularly French, Italian and Spanish dogs are noticeably different than the dogs that we have over here in, um, in America. Um, I've done some 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 pretty extensive research there um, and they're just built different. They're 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 built to cover a different type of range. That, that's the the general way I can I would explain it. The, the American dogs to me are they are proficient because they've been bred and raised to handle American terrain, um, which is usually larger expanses of land. Um you know, different 
type of conditions, humidity, things like that. Our dogs are just have just been molded and developed um, in a very short time to be able to handle our um, terrain, especially when it comes to pointers and setters. We have diminished size, um, diminished in, in, in size from the European dogs in order to put back in speed and stamina. Our dogs are usually faster running dogs over a long longer period of time. So if I think about track and field, um, I think of European dogs as more sprinters, you know, one to 200 sprinters. I think of American dogs as, as like 400 to 800 meter to, to, and even our all age dogs to, you know, 1600 meter dogs in, in a sense that they're going to run faster for a longer period of time. Um, they are also going to be much rangier. Um, Obviously, the tail set thing is different. You know, we we look for different differences in style and things like that. Um, so that, you know, that's kind of the the interesting break from from what that is. Um, but I like European dogs. I, I really do. I like what they I like their history and what they brought to the table. Um, my last listener question, Blair Matthews, 88, asks, why there isn't more young individuals getting into these passions and how could we get them more interested in it? Um, I think that's the same similar question as what I was just answering before. Um, I'm of the mindset that there was a general generational gap between the baby boomers to millennials. So generation X doesn't seem like a lot of them were as invested in the uplands. There's some, um, but I, I just think there was that generational gap. Like I've met more people that were like, no, nah, my parents, parents are usually in their forties, probably fifties by now. Um, my parents just didn't, didn't hunt, you know, they were aware of it, but they just didn't do it. Um, and so that, that, that doesn't get passed down. Um, I think there's a new resurgence um, because of just the state of the world and, and, and the, the uh, mental space that we're in, people are looking for things that are a little bit more sustainable um, as far as food and things like that. So I think that naturally, you know, this is this is kind of a natural result of that interest. Um, you know, younger individuals, um, you know, uh, our generation's interesting, man, because we're raised to, you know, obviously a lot of us do have higher education or, um, you know, have spent time, you know, looking and working for a job and things like that. And I, I just don't see that as something um, that's necessarily, you know, in our face. It's just it's just not. Um, there are a lot of other uh, distractions, I guess. I hate saying distractions because I don't want to be so pessimistic, but there are a lot of other things in place that would that that are probably easier to get into than bird dogs. Um, I think a lot of the other issue is there is the, um, there's the issue of access. When I know when I first got in, I thought you had to have a whole bunch of land and stuff like that to get into bird dogs. And, and, you know, that transition was, was a big hump to get over. Um, getting the right breed of dog, you know, 
and and seeing younger people get in. See, a lot of the times I think organizations and things like that are not like everybody says we want to get the younger people in or, or we want more diversity and things like that. But like, I just don't think the actions that are in place to doing that um, are, are, are necessarily working. You know, I think if, if you, you know, a lot of us didn't have that hunting uncle or something like that. So I just think there needs to be a change in in the solutions that we're presenting to younger people. It's got to make sense. You know, I even think in the, the, the field trial aspect of it, to me, I think if I'm looking for a hunting dog, you know, that I can still do stuff with weekend warrior, so on and so forth. Like something like Nastra actually, Nastra actually makes a lot of sense. You know, um, it's it's not as subjective as American field or there's a different system and things like that. So I just think the solutions that we have to get younger people in it need to make sense to younger people. You know, um, and they have to 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 be affordable. That's another thing. Our generation isn't just rolling in the dough right now. And it's going to be even harder considering this pandemic going forward when people have jobs and things like that, it's, it's, it's going to be harder to, to get people outside, you know, spend six, $700 on a bird dog. You know, it, it, we've just got to be considerate of the times it's got to be relevant. So getting younger people in, we need to address younger people issues. We need to present hunting in a way that makes sense for younger people. A lot of folks don't have mentors either. That that's a big part of the older way of doing things. And so now social media has to fill in for that, you know, fill in that gap. And so I think we need better social media representation, too. If we want to get younger people in, well, I mean, folks got to learn the the ways of, of what bird dogs and stuff like that is. But at the same time, um, it's got to be it, it's it's got to be real. It can't be. It, it just can't be a farce, man. Like it's got to be bigger than likes and things like that, like the stories and things. And Project Upland does a phenomenal job at this. I'm so proud to write for them for this reason. The stories are real and they they matter to our generation. They don't exclude other people, but. You know. Being able to say like. I'm from Atlanta and I was able to find a medium like Project Upland that th- these folks looked like me as far as age and, and, and things like that. And the way that the materials printed, I mean, I can look at all of these other books, training books and, and historical documents and stuff that are on my bookshelf right now. And they are to somebody that, that is not as nerdy about research they are not interesting and they are actually very boring. That information has to be not only conveyed in a way that makes sense and is relevant, but it's got to be convenient, you know, um, adapt to technology. You know, there was an article in project upland and about the use of technology in our sport. And I think it is a very valuable thing when we can use it to broadcast to a wider audience. But again, it cannot be fake. And and another way that we appeal to younger people, bro, just be yourself. Just be yourself. It like, 
we we can't like we we need to show the the positive and negative about training your own dog and we have to be honest not everybody myself included is a you know pro dog trainer plody is a pro dog trainer that is what he does day in and day out so if we're going to address this stuff in our media they the, the media has to be accurate you know and truthful to the person delivering it um and that's kind of something that i think is is going to be there um let me see who we got. Yep. James McAvee has a, a good one. I interviewed James um, a couple of episodes. He says, um, if a kid likes horseback rides, take him to a field trial, let him experience that. It's a good way to expose them to dogs. That's another thing. Get them on something that they're, they're interested in. Kids like stuff like that. I know I grew up riding horses and, and that's half the reason why I'm so hell bent on horseback field trials now. My mom always took me there. And, and, and in Atlanta, I mean, we've got some horsemen that, that are known around the city. You know, that's the thing that makes it more relevant. Um, let's see. Oh, <laughs> the Maynard Reese print behind me. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, McKay Adventure, rule of thumb, got to taller than the gun. Up until then, bird fetching and accompany a hunter even at the range. Yes, they need to accompany us out in the field. Um, let me see. What else do I have? I haven't gotten any more questions. Um, all right, so those were the listener questions. Um, just some 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 last minute stuff. So I got a few magazine pieces coming out. Um coming out. I am going to go ahead and I don't know if Callie posted it yet, but I have a new article in uh, Gundog magazine, you know, that is out in this issue at the moment. Um, it should be in stores and on the shelves today. I got a notification about it um, from another listener of mine yesterday, I think. But you should be able to go in. I get my stuff from Barnes and Noble when it comes to stuff like that. Um, but mine is... Um, in the new issue of Gundog magazine, it talks about hunting quail down here um, in the South. You know, um, Callie did a phenomenal job on that. So I hope you guys go and check that out. You know, if you get it, feel like tag me in it. That'd be dope, too. I appreciate it. Um, so Gundog magazine um, and, and and I've got some other stuff coming up um, as well for Quail Forever, BHA, so on and so forth. Um but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also working on an article um, that talks about getting my 410 out, my 410 shotgun and using that for training. And so there's a whole story about that coming up as well. I got two NASTRA trials signed up for and in the books, um, both here in Georgia and Moreland, Georgia and Murrayville, Georgia, um, Big Oak Plantation. And so I will be working Vegas in those trials on October 17th and December 12th. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what we got going, man. And I've got this whole other piece of what defines a field trial in my notes. Um, I'm going to save that for another, um, episode. Cause I kind of want to break that down a little bit more. Um, and, and where that stems from is just my conversation with some buddies about like Nastra versus American field and the, the format and does the format 
change what defines what a field trial is. So that's something that I got coming up later on down the line. Y'all know I'm, I'm going to spend, put my nose in a book. Um, some of the reference is coming from this book, Jack Harper's uh, Bird Dogs and Field Trials. So with that being said, guys, um, thank y'all for tuning in. Um, I hope the information, as always, is beneficial, um, you know, and I'm, I'm giving it to you from my just my firsthand experience. If I know it, I know it. If I don't, I don't. And I usually got somebody on here that can kind of help out with the conversation. Um, so with that being said, guys, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, tuning in. And I will have y'all the entire episode with Michael Kennedy and this here um, very shortly. All right, guys, catch y'all in a little bit. All right, guys, while we are transitioning to the next part of the episode, I just want to bring up another piece of Onyx Hunt. Um, it is called Onyx Off-Road. All right. You can find open trails and public lands near you where you can zoom in and find trails, uh, off-roading areas in all 50 states. Um, you can now view public lands, national parks, BLM, national forests. Um, you know, Onyx Off-Road is, is definitely the place you want to be, especially considering the whole COVID-19 thing, man. Go find new trails, you know, go find new spots to, to, to you know, be by yourself or be with your family, you know, be with your dogs, however you got to do. But anyway, all the trail info you need is in one spot with Onyx Off-Road. It features trails that show detailed trail descriptions, duration, difficulty, and photos, and you can tap um, a blue trail to pull up the information card. You can add waypoints and so on and so forth, just like you can in the Onyx Hunt app. So guys, if you have not already, go and download the Onyx Off-Road app today. And while we are on the, the, the subject of, of getting off-road, guys, you need to stay fueled up, be able to take your dogs to, to these very foreign places, these new places, guys. Of course, I'm going to encourage you Canuba sporting dog for dogs of any age, guys. You know, dog food trends come and go and, and so on and so forth. And everything everybody's got the latest, greatest, hottest, this and that. But right now, honestly, man, you Canuba uh, premium performance is the hottest on the market. Um, you definitely, definitely, definitely will get focused and uh, proven nutritional science, guys. There's a dedicated team of scientists and and, and research facilities. I haven't been to one of them. And, and guys, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and say that Yukonuba um, Sporting Dog really does live up to the expectation that, that, that you know, we put on dog food, you know, in, in these companies, you know, not just for advertisement and so on and so forth. No, like you can legit look at the dog food and, and see that it looks, it looks good for them. So anyway, um, while we're transitioning, I just wanted to put that out there, guys. Go get yourself um, a couple of bags of Yukonuba Premium Performance uh, 3020 blend. You can get the 2818, however you want to do it. You know, there's there's all kind of facts and things like that on the website, guys. All right, so here is the next piece of the episode with Michael Kennedy, guys. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast. We got Michael Kennedy on the line, and and Michael, we've been trying to talk for a long time now, but we, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're here, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's been a minute. We've been trying, but hey, it worked out. Well, yeah, we're we're talking tonight. So yeah, can't ask for a better timing. Yep, it uh, and that's what it is. It's timing. So. You hit me. All right. So let's go back to when we had, uh, initially 
started, um, you know, communicating and stuff like that. Well, you sent me um, this man ran story is what it was. Um, that was kind of like in the beginning of me and you, me and you starting to, you know, build a conversation and stuff like that. So do you want me to summarize it or do you want me to just read the story as is like, do you want to tell the story about that man ran story? Oh, sure. I'll be glad to tell it. All um, right. It was, uh, told to me this year at the Quell Invitational in Paducah, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of us around the trailers afterwards they had just ran the the callback and we're about to announce the winners and this is me as good stories are the whole round tailgate and all we were just talking about field trials and field trials passed and a gentleman by the name of mike kraus has mm-hmm. been a mentor to me and just helped me out huge along the way um somebody asked him to retell the story and i can't remember all the details as far as what trial it was or who the dog was that was running, but that that plays little into the story. Right. But it was Clyde Morton and Man Rand, and they were at a trial, and they had a dog that was just doing a phenomenal job and was definitely going to be the winner. And I don't know if the judge went up to Clyde and told him, you know, hey, you know, just hold on to your dog and finish him. And so they had just had a fine and man had gone down to grab the dog and they were about to send him back on and Mr. Morton, you know, told him don't lose the dog and don't, uh, you know, make sure there's birds there so we don't get it unproductive. So they sent him on and it was, you know, working the country good and it was about, you know, a decent amount of time had gone by and they hadn't seen the dog, but I mean, had faith in the best scout there is. Mm-hmm. And so, time was about to get where you know they needed to show a dog or the judges would you know rule them out of judgment and call a point came they rode over there mr mort went in and flushed birds and all was good and afterwards he asked man ran he's like you know what took you so long finding the birds you know why and man said that he saw the dog on point and so he stopped his horse further enough away that he wouldn't spook any game and then he got on his belly and belly crawled close enough to watch until he could see quail moving to make sure there was birds in front of that dog so that they wouldn't get an unproductive and then had to sneak back out to his horse and then catch up to him to call points. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that, that's just, that's amazing, right? <laughs> that, that is raw talent, man. For his, like, those are the stories that, that I, I like hearing, man. Like, that was cool. Um, and just the importance of a scout. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. just, yeah, you know, and, and that was kind of where actually the rest of our conversation went. But, like, Man Rand is just one of my favorites. And when I see him, I, you know, you see images of him, you hear about him. Actually, a, a good, for what I would expect, actually a, a pretty good amount and a lot of, um, you know, Dogman's book from, you know, uh, uh, Ed McFerrier to um, Jane, uh, Jack Harper, like, you hear about him. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, like, mm-hmm. he, he would, you know, it's those kinds of stories. It's almost a mythology, you know. And, and when I like seeing him when he pops up in books, because it's like, oh, like, that was that was cool because like, it's always yeah. usually a cool story, you know, yeah. um, and, and being out there at Sedgefields and stuff like that. But just being able to sure. um, scout, man, like I've got 
I've, I've, I've got, you know, my, um, I've had somebody scout for me and, and, and on, on horseback, man, like I ended up losing my dog and actually uh, it was, um, Lane and Darcy Hodges. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they were I mean, on it, man. Yeah. Like they were yeah. on it and it's a good feeling to have somebody in that place, you know, just to, it <laughs> I mean, it can make a difference of you showing your dog well, or, you know, you losing your dog and having to call for that tracker from the judge. I mean, it's a, it's an important job and a, a definitely a good, you know, important support role for the whole performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you see it done right, I mean, that in itself is just fun to watch. I mean, all aspects of field trials are fun to watch to me. And uh, I'll find myself, you know, some braces just watching handlers and how they handle and then you know, you don't see too much of the scout's job, but mm-hmm. if you do catch glimpses, kind of see what they pick up on what they're doing and how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just, and then of course the main star of the show is your dog. And it's, right. I mean, that's, well, you're that's dogging and, 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 and the horse, <laughs> like I, there was always that story of, um, um, I just heard it recently and I, 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 I blank on where I heard it, but basically, um, it was uh, somebody was telling me we were talking about it and, and he's like, well, what's the fourth, you know, important piece to field trial? And he was like, you know, if we go through the list, you got your dog, number one, your handler, number two, your scout, number three. But then, you know, that scout's horse mm-hmm. was number four, yeah. you know, and I thought that was an interesting, you know, addition because that's just the the. The other variable, you know, man, Rand and all of these guys were, were breaking horses and they were um, they were doing it right. They had that connection with all of their animals, you know, so, so yeah. much. So I got um, this time. I think it was Time magazine, but it was like a photo of a guy way, way, way back. And um, he like literally is investigating the ground, looking at his dog's track with his horse mm-hmm. behind him and stuff like that. Like these guys knew their dogs to that degree, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what helped so many of those guys become great scouts and just, I mean, just great, you know, mm-hmm. observer of animals and being able to communicate with them. It's because they did spend so much time with them and they studied their every move and studied them so well that, I mean, they could almost tell you what that dog was going to do before it did it. Yep. And I mean, that comes from just a lifetime of observing them and spending that quality time with them. And the dogs knew those guys just as well as they, you know, they knew them. And that's just a crazy bond that they have with those animals. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, it's it's interesting, man. Like in running this as I mean, I mean, in a way, you're not making a product, but you're running your team as a business, like all parts have to work together. And that's what I like about field trial. And you know what I'm saying? Like it's, even if it's just me, you know, working for myself, like I'm going to do some Nastra stuff just to see, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? To see yeah. kind of how, how, how he does in that zone. But then of course, being able to switch to American field, like I'm a person that believes that working with your dog enough, they will learn the venue. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, Put them, put, putting a dog in those different areas of competition, I mean, that keeps them sharp, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you hold them to a standard, but, you know, and make sure they do what they have been trained to know that is right. 
mindset. I mean, when you sharpen their minds by giving them a, a new task or a new new event to take place, I mean, it can only better your animal. I mean, right. I mean, unless you're doing something that's terribly wrong to, <laughs> to, to right. I mean, to, to, to break its spirits. But I mean, as, as long as it's positive and, and you know, it, it, it can only help your dog mm-hmm. become better. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, you got field trial dogs, man, and we gonna we gonna get it to your history because I, I I I got I have fifty million different questions and fifty million different areas about field trial and and you know you you bring up the you know a bunch of different very very interesting topics and and one of those topics is is us being the younger guys you know what I'm saying in field mm-hmm. trial and where. You know, you've obviously done many more than I have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the even younger guy. Um, but I think you have a lot of valid experiences in this thing, you know? Well, I mean, I preface this by, like, I don't know everything. And I'm still learning. And I don't claim to be an expert in any of this. Yeah. But yeah, I've, it, uh, it, I've, I, I've had some opportunities. And one of the people that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take that opportunity and get the most out of it that mm. I can. And so I've just been fortunate in that way. Yeah. So you um, let's 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 talk about just some of those instances. But you got into field trial and man went about how how long ago? <laughs> this is going to blow you away. It's, it's kind of a roundabout story how I got here. OK, but <laughs> and it's probably not the most common way or way that most people think would Mm -hmm. i actually started how i got into bird dogs was i started out raising quail when i was 13 years old (laughs) yeah and i i I raised quail and i mean i only raised a few hundred not near what these guys need but my dad had a friend that had a shooting preserve and just to help me out support me because I was not supplying him the amount of birds he would get, you know, go through. Right. He would buy all my quail from me. And so I, you know, 13, I can't drive there. So my dad's taking me there. And on the way in, you'd have to go past his kennel and I'd see all those bird dogs. And I was like, <laughs> man, those, you know, they'll catch your eye now. Yeah. Especially a good looking one. <laughs> and I didn't come from a, a hunting family. And never had, you know, bird dogs in my family. Uh-huh. And so I'm kind of a first generation. Well, fast forward, you know, two years, I finally talked my parents into allowing me to have a dog. Mm-hmm. And so my dad, uh, in the business that he was in, he uh, knew a guy that owned a plantation here in South Alabama. And he was gracious enough to give me a puppy out of his kennel. What? Do you remember that kennel I, name? Um, it was Enon Plantation. Okay. And um, they had a guy there, their dog man, and he let me go and um, pick out a pup. And they actually had some puppies in, and my first pointer w- was through a dog named Strut that Tommy Davis ran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything else about the dog. I never got the papers on him, um, but that guy kind of got me started in dogs and he took me to my first field trial when I was 16. Nice. Okay. All but, right. Um, I went to one and, but I mean, I didn't have horses or any of that road there. And then there was a long stretch about 12 years where I just strictly did hunting, bird hunting. 
And it hadn't been but four years now that I've gotten back into or gone to field trials and, and kind of gotten hooked back into it. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I told you that's a roundabout. That's, way I was about to say uh, it, it is, but you know, that, 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 um, that puts me to that, that other question, man, like we're young guys and everybody's like, Oh, well, field trials is, is, is a dying sport and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we hear that 50 million times yeah. all day over every day. And yeah. I don't think it is, but the thing is like, what do you think it, it is about guys, our age, younger guys, coming in and, and getting into the field trial game in like adulthood, you know, like it, what, what is it that draws us there? Well, I mean, I think one, we all love competition. Yeah. I mean, where else can you, you know, compete with an animal like that and, and, you know, strive to do better and, and just have that challenge of facing someone else when, you know, if you're not, active in a sport or something like that right now right um and just the i mean the dogs the animals the people i mean i think it's all of it that that draws us to it but i almost want to say that most of us probably have started out bird hunting mm-hmm. or doing some type of bird hunting and that's what kind of catalyst us in towards you know to to going in that route right i um I mean, it, and it's so interesting, like just moving from bird hunting and, and I, I really enjoy, you know, doing it. Um, and I, I think that's the piece that I'm like, when I can just see my dog hunting and, and I mean like hunting and finding and pursuing, um, you know, the, the, the birds in these coveys that I done found down here, like mm-hmm. to me, that's what. I guess that's what I'm in it for. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the field trialing part is, is the proof behind your dog being able to hunt wild birds. And and, that, and that's sure. just my judgment, you know, that, that yeah. which means <laughs> nothing, but oh, well, I mean, there's, there's truth to that. I mean, you know, where did all this start? It was two men saying, Hey, my dog can hunt better than yours. Mm-hmm. And just that, that competition and that won't the better, your the caliber dogs you've had and you know that gets into breeding better and better and training Mm -hmm. you know techniques and trying to hold your dog to a higher standard and then you know for long you know you have this great animal that can can really get something done Mm -hmm. i mean that's just that's that's exciting to watch in the process and see it all come you know you know full circle and you know actually a dog that can do that that you know you started with i mean as right. a pup that, that's pretty special right i um and and you you say that and you say two men and and, and getting together running dogs and, and competing um i'm i'm working on a uh an article like a, a, a piece to um some of my thoughts or whatever and actually i wanted to talk about that on this podcast but like what it comes down to is, is, is me versus you saying, you know, way back in the day, right. We're talking about the days of the oil man. And we're talking about guys that are like, look, I got this really, really nice dog. We're out in wild quail country. And, um, you know, I'm reading in Jack Harper's book that this is where this reference is coming from. You know, it was his dad that invited, he was, his dad was a doctor and he, he'd invited, uh, um, some, friends from school or something like that over to do some bird hunting. 
and Buddy got to talking trash <laughs> about <laughs> Jack Harper's dad's dog. <laughs> he broke the rule. He right broke there, the rule, he? man. Like, and, and, and I, that's how I read it. And so um, I um, I messed around and, and went on. And basically, it was a thing where they said, "Look, we are going to." I think everybody puts twenty dollars down, and you know we're gonna start at the at the beginning of the day, sun up run dogs however many you come back with is what you come back with take a break and then hit it again and at the end of the day you tally up your birds like to me that's it, it in a way it's kind of different from our normal field trial now it's a, it's a hell of a yeah. lot more ethical first of all <laughs> yeah it, you're not uh wiping out populations of quail that right you like these guys are coming back with like 50 60 birds like when i read it i was like yeah. dang dude like you know, uh, you can't find that many quail right <laughs> <laughs> around here. <laughs> and I was like, that. when he said it, I was like, yo, like you, you don't need 50, 60 birds, bro, like not to compete with a dog. But, you know, that's, that's still the history of mm-hmm. the earliest field trials. You know what I'm saying? And so we've gone in and now, you know, and now this is kind of what I wanted to, to kind of break down with you, but We've 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 had field trials where people shot birds, you know, like dog mm-hmm. points. They they're still judgment. People mm-hmm. shot birds and they actually had to retrieve at a point. That to me is actually the Nastra system. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then you've got the American field system, which it doesn't do any of that. You know what I'm saying? It, it's you don't kill birds and and um you know, there's typically a horseback element to it and so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. Um, not just horseback, we're going to be walking too, but anyway, you, yeah. you get the point. So what, it, that's like a big jump, right? Like to, to have a gun and then to get rid of a gun and use blank pistols. So mm-hmm. at what point did we start changing the definition of what a field trial is? Because also with Nastra, you're running your dog around in a bird field. Sure. You know what I'm saying? With American field, you're handling a dog to, possible areas of birds like it's 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 the the experience is different yeah well i think part of it is that you know there's fewer and fewer places to where you can run as many dogs are entered at some of these events and not cover the same ground you know more than once and so there's also fewer birds now than there were unfortunately back then and so I think just as the popularity of field trialing increased and the number of, you know, entrants were, were more and more that it just wasn't feasible to, to run that system mm-hmm. and not wipe out every bird. You know, if you're on one of those plantations down in South Georgia, I mean, they don't want you killing all their birds because they have, they want birds for next year. Mm-hmm. And so I think just, times change and yeah. so the the system changed so what um, what what are you defining as a field trial because obviously it has nothing to do with you know shooting right like it's we would not have field mm-hmm. trials if we didn't have hunting but the 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 hunting element has so much more to do with the dog and not the handler you see what i'm saying but but yeah. still, they're judged in two distinctly different venues. 
but there has right. to be a commonality to it. So what what are we dis, what what are we calling a field trial? Well, I think I mean field trials today are I mean like you said earlier proving ground for what your breeding has done and training for a dog, and so you're really putting that dog through a test on bird finding ability, handling, you know, finding objectives and going for it. So you're really testing, you know, or proofing what your training and what your breeding program has done to better these dogs. And so, I mean, they shoot dogs and all, you know, they'll still hunt over them and drop birds, but you're still holding them to that stadia wing shot. And then, you know, most of the time, then a cocker or something like that in, but some guys will send their dogs in to retrieve when they're told. And so, I mean, that takes it to another level. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I think, I don't know if this answers your question. It does, but yeah. Just, uh, it's just checking off, you know, nose on that dog mm-hmm. and how they're built, their confirmation on how well they cover ground with ease to where you're not, you know, you could have this dog that's not built right or, you know, and it's struggling to cover ground. And, I mean, that's not something you want to put back into your breeding program. Right. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of testing all those areas to get the top dogs that should be, you know, you know, producing, right. in my opinion. Right. No, I like that. Um, and that. And that's the... The, the subjectivity in the test, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's like, to me, it's like building, a, I guess, a race car. You know, you, you put something out there, run it, test it, uh, mm-hmm. try it out, see, see if it's faster. <laughs> it yeah, looks better yeah. than the, than the other, the other racer. Um, sure. I, I like that. And, you know, that just kind of leads me, you know, into, into a couple other thoughts, man. Cause Was a lot of, that? I don't, I don't think we would, I mean, I, I, I mean, Hey, I don't claim I know any, you know, anything or everything, but we may not have, have had the caliber of dogs that we're seeing today. I mean, used to, you could get maybe one puppy out of a litter that would, you know, be well enough to compete. And mm-hmm. now some litters, you know, have more than that. Right. Um, and some still may be a wash, but you're seeing, you know, in my opinion, you're seeing better dogs they're being produced and more of them in a litter versus just having one in a million. Yeah. Now, no, it makes perfect sense. So at what point are we determining a dog is a wash in a litter? Like (laughs) (laughs) at what what point do we say, Uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think we're in a, a society that wants everything instant. Mm-hmm. And so we may not spend enough time. But a lot of these guys, I mean, they've seen thousands of dogs or more. Right. I mean, and they can kind of, I mean, you hear the people that can kind of see a dog move and watch it for, you know, a few months and can tell right off the, right off the start. But, right. Um, I mean, I think just one, if they're not confirmationally built right, that, you know, that may throw them out a little bit. And if they're not using their nose or 
are real short nose to where they're having to be, you know, they're not catching those scent cones. I mean, I mean, I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough, yeah. Question. I mean, <laughs> I, I know I, I laid that one on you, man. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had enough dogs to, to fully determine that. And when I do get one, I mean, it, hey, it's here with my family. I mean, it's much of you know part of the family as anything. So mm-hmm. I got to hold on to what I get. I can't. Oh yeah. I can't. Uh, I can't. You know, well, throw them in. <laughs> well, and and see the thing is, man, and that's that brings up an interesting, you know, another interesting point. You. <laughs> You actually taking me down the rabbit hole, man. <laughs> um, people are different nowadays, man. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, we can't like just just move through dogs and get rid of them and rehome them and stuff like that. That's not mm-hmm. that's not normal anymore. And at a time, it was. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? People, I mean, it 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 was a business. And now I'm actually grateful for this. People are more willing to say, hey, hold on. You know, I spent six, seven hundred dollars on this dog. Yeah. Let me see it through. I have a 13 year old setter Mm -hmm. that uh, he he didn't make it. I mean, he I mean, he could stand right on top of a bird. Never smell it, never act like smell it. Now he was bite point all day long. Yeah, and I was hoping maybe you know that connection and catching that scent. And he just never, never had what it took to be a hunting dog. Yeah. But he's still, he's still outside my kennel, and I mean, he's he's a part of the family, mm-hmm. and so I mean that's that's just the way it is here at my house. I mean, my wife and my kids get attached to him, and and I get attached to him, and so. Hey, they're here to live out the rest of their life. Right, we got them, so they're here. It's just I, I'm I'm just glad that that mentality has shifted. You know what I'm saying? Like that uh, people were like say like moving through dogs, and and I understand it was a business, but even the field trialers that I've met, their dogs are still, you know, they're still very much so family. Now, and I think that you see that more so too with the guys like me and you, the amateurs, the weekend guys that, you know, hey, we work all week so we can go on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And um and I think you see that more in us than you would somebody that's, you know, maybe in it for a business. I mean if it doesn't make a field trial dog, it's not to say it's not gonna make a great hunting dog. Right. And somebody would be, you know, thrilled or even a great dog for an amateur who is gonna run on the weekends and it just didn't work for that professional right, that, or that owner that his, who's his looking whole... to compete at a professional level. Right. And so it's not to say there's, you know, we call them, get rid of them, or, you know, whatever. It's just, it may be sent down the line. And then somebody may do, you know, some kind of adventure running or something like that that needs an active dog. And who's to say that's not going to be a great dog for them to go running trails or, you know, whatever you may do. Um, so, I mean, I think there's places those dogs can fit in. Mm-hmm. And um, and like I said, just be passed on to the next guy, whether it's, you know, a weekend field trialer or just a, a hunter, an avid hunter to, to whoever. Right. Um, I, I think that's true, man. Um, but, you know, with field trial dogs, man, you are, I think that the, the other piece of it, and uh, Buddy and I were talking about this the other day, um, Field trialing is gambling. I mean, it is. <laughs> it's, a, 
it's an expensive addiction. <laughs> <laughs> it it is an expensive. You know, there there are worse things to spend money on, but okay. overall, you know, um, it's yeah. it's there. But you know, anywho, man. <laughs> well, to kind of go on with that, I mean, you're asking about you know young guys getting into it and why why it drives us, but like. I mean, I, I grew up around horses and I've um, been around horses my whole life. And so I always enjoyed horses. And so doing bird dogs and horses together, I mean, that was like, that was great to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kill two birds in one stone, but I understand too. I mean, it's expensive to, <laughs> to keep up a horse and get a horse. And yep. I mean, this is, this is a commitment to, uh, to, to do this. Right. And so, I mean, there's other avenues guys can go whether they want to do you know walking trials i mean i have some great friends in walking trials and i mean i mean they got some good dogs and run on you know similar grounds and i mean they have a good time and i mean i might try to to enter one of those this year just just to try it out i I was going to ask if you if if you if your dogs are they do well with the crossover um well one of my dogs uh I actually guide with him, and so he would be great because, I mean, most of those guys on the walking, I mean, they have a shooting dog, range mm-hmm. dog, and so he would be good for that. And, um, I mean, most most of my dogs, they, they know the difference from when you're on a horse and when you're walking, and they can kind of adjust and figure it out, especially the older they get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I, I think so. And now, 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 how many are you working with? You got how many dogs total? <laughs> well, I have five total. Okay. I'm, a, I'm an equal opportunity employer here. <laughs> I have the setter that we talked about just recently. And then don't hold this against me. I have a short hair. <laughs> I know it's coming. It, and you know, hold on. Am I that bad on people? Do I talk that <laughs> bad, man? Because everybody is like, whoa, Darrell, don't. <laughs> Am I that bad? <laughs> no, nah, it's just all fun and games. I mean, I'm like, we're just all poking at each other. <laughs> look, no, nah, I, I will take a short hair out. I want you to remember that. Okay. I want you to remember that. <laughs> no, I know. Hey, I, if it's a good dog, it's a good dog. There you mate. go. You know, and, I'm going to talk so trash, I'm, but I can acknowledge good work, though. <laughs> so, yeah. but you got a short hair. Short hair, and then I have a uh, another pointer, and then I have an English cocker. Okay, okay, all right. So, so you I, got you I got wide range there. <laughs> you got mostly males, females. What? Um, I have three males and two females. Okay, all I right. have a, a female pu- uh, pointer pup. She's coming out of her derby season, and then uh, well, I skipped one. I have a, a about a five year old pointer. And then the female pointer, and then the uh, English cocker. Okay, all right, people. But yo, so let's talk about guiding, man. People love that little cocker getting around while we guiding. <laughs> is that uh, right. you? You in Alabama? Is yep. I imagine it's the same thing for us here. People love that little cocker. Hey, that. I wasn't trying to jump on a bandwagon, but <laughs> hey, those are special little dogs. <laughs> I have I have run with a cocker, um, you know, once while I was shadowing uh, guiding here. That mm-hmm. little joker there was a freaking pocket rocket, man. Oh yeah, I mean they're full of energy, and the one I have, she she just turned one, 
And, um, yeah, she's, she's, they're just fun to watch. I yeah. mean, if you can't turn a cocker around, like just in the yard when you're just out and about and not have a smile on your face after you see them just right. running around playing and, you know, they just want to please. I mean, they're 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 special little dogs that's for sure man they're they're cool little dogs i i said after my lab i uh after my lab i'm going to get a cocker and terry chastain he gonna hate me when i say this too but because i told him he was like man stick with a lab but uh <laughs> i i said um i wanted to get a cocker i i do um and it, you know it'd be much further down the road like i'm not getting one yeah until I need another flushing dog, but sure. them little things, I, I could, and they eat less. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. hey, that, that is true. They, I mean, I'm, I'm, not I, a plug, but Chewy comes to my house every two weeks and drops a 50 pound bag off. Hey, <laughs> look, I'm, I mean. I, Hey, look, that, that ain't too bad right there. And, uh, yeah. Like I said, they don't they don't mow through that that bag of chewy. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, just I don't know if you won't get in this yet. But even for God, and I mean, a guy's a fool to step in front of a man with a gun dude, that he doesn't know. I mean, dude, when I tell you, yeah, go ahead with that. <laughs> Let's stay on that for a minute. <laughs> that's, I mean. You almost got to be crazy to do that, but yet here I am, and that's what I I do. But um, yeah. I I got it for more so a safety thing. Yeah. I can stay back a little bit, and I mean, even though you try to be safe and get your hunters to to walk in front of you, and you know as you're flushing and and you flush the birds towards them a little bit, I mean, you just never know with some of these right. guys and. Even though you preach safety, it's just another insurance policy. To try to, to be a little bit safer on a hunt, and mm-hmm. especially, I mean, the way it is, you know, most of your guiding opportunities now are are pin raised birds, right? And most times they're put down that day, and so it just helps those birds get up and fly better, mm-hmm. and safer for you. And I mean, that that was one of the main reasons I got it. I got thinking, I was like. I got two little girls now and a wife. I got to get home to every day. I can't. I've, I've had one or two close calls, and I'm just like, I, I can't handle this right, right. now. So, Man, so it's, it, it's a safety reason too for me. I understand that. I had to. I got caught in a situation where I was guiding, and and the dang them dang short hairs. Um, one of, he, he he tried to get after my dog, and so I couldn't use my either of my dogs. Vegas was hurt, um, mm-hmm. and so it was just him and the clients were cool or whatever. But it was just him, you know, that we had to keep on the ground because he wouldn't hunt with any other dog. So mm-hmm. I ended up having to do the flushing while that dog went, you know, was pointing and stuff like that. And I, I will say the one thing about that experience that I appreciate is that they were older dudes that mm-hmm. were very experienced. So I, I actually was not as worried. Yeah. But there's still that like, shh, man, I'm not stepping in there. Hey, I've hit the ground many a time. And I've had guys say that I was quick to the ground, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, man. It's just- I mean, I enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I, I I love God, and it's 
it's great to, you know, work my dogs and I enjoy talking with the, the people and, oh, yeah. you know, getting to sharing that experience with them. But, uh, at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, some, some people, especially when they're, you know, you get a lot of corporate outings. And uh-huh. It's some guy's first time oh, you know, man, ever yeah. bird hunting. Yep. And they picked up a shotgun for the first time that day. And you just, you just praying that you, that, it, you know, your dogs and you and everybody's safe during it. Right. And then see, that's the, that's the other thing too, man. And, and, and you also mentioned one thing that I, I want to elaborate on. I mean, them cockers, because of what they are historically bred for, which is flushing woodcock, um, yeah. they're not, I, I, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're not as prone to fetching the dog as so much as they're prone to actually like flushing is not the 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 accident of not being able to catch the dog. I feel like fl- uh, uh, cockers are actually trying to put the birds in the air. Does, I mean, does that make sense? In there <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine. She's. I kind of had to be selective on the hunts that I took her on this year, just with her being. I mean, she was ten months old the first hunt she went on with mm-hmm. a client, and he uh, he was solo by himself and. Uh, you know, I was like, Hey, I got this young dog. Do you mind if I turn her loose though? You know, couple, you know, on a couple flushes and everything just to, to get her some experience. And he was a good shot. I mean, he was knocking down everything that came up and that's what you want. You yeah. know, you want those, those birds to come up and come down. Right. And, um, so I, I just kept her at heel and let the pointers work and just send her in. And, um, uh, she was a little timid flushing at first. I mean, tall broom sedge and all that but she got in there finally and did it but yeah. her marking ability marking those down birds was just impressive to me really that you know even in that tall cover she knew exactly where those birds went down and just you know straight line running straight there and coming back and i mean it's 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 fun to watch it's just a another aspect of all of it that's now are you are you when you're doing when you're training your dogs and doing formalized training talk about that like because you've got do you do you keep working your cocker with the other dogs or like how how do you rotate that that energy Uh, if we're doing bird work I, i right now since she's so young still i mainly work her by herself just to keep, you know, any other distractions out of the way. I mean, a lot of times, you know, she's still a puppy and she wants to go play with other dogs and all. So just to kind of keep her mind on track. Right. I, if I'm working, you know, birds with her solo, but if we're rodent dogs, you know, off four wheeler or horse or whatever, I'll just turn her loose and let her free run and she'll run right there with them. I oh, mean, shoot. she does okay. miss a lick. <laughs> That's what's up. Okay. That's dope. Um, I I was always wondering. So she just, I mean, and she, but she adapts well to hunting around the other pointers. I mean, she, you know, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And um, I said it, this year was, you know, she's under a year and it was her first season. So I, I kind of limited her exposure just to, especially on in God and just to certain mm-hmm. situations. Now, if we were training, I would, you know, maybe, you know, once every, you know, four or five times I worked her on birds had a pointing dog there right right that'll be good now, and a lot of my older dogs i mean it's kind of new to them too because they, 
Oh they man, had some, you know, like that coming around them and flushing. Usually, it's me going in and flushing, so right. it was adjustment all around. You know, it is funny you say that. I it was an adjustment for my lab to start hunting with my pointer. Um, he did not like it in the least. You know, because I was I was used to running him ahead of me. You know, what I'm saying and mm-hmm. him doing and, and running him like you would a cocker. Um, mm-hmm. But then when I had to scale him back and walk him at heel, even during guided hunts where you know birds ain't even been down that long, so it's pretty much a free for all for everybody. Like mm-hmm. that was an an adjustment, you know, process for him. I mean, he was like, "Yo, what in the world? Why am I waiting on that dog?" Then he kind of started figuring out that he gonna get the bird up in the air anyway. Yeah, you know, but it, it's it's an adjustment for the dogs, man. Um, you and know, I think it, the hardest thing for mine too was, you know, I, I had Ranner with the short hair because he's kind of a a one dog, you know, one down dog down type dog also. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the with the pointer, I mean, he's used to going and getting the retrieve, especially on guided hunt, right. and uh, having to honor another dog or you know let them go get it it was kind of you know why can't i go get it you know type <laughs> thing just adjust. i'm supposed to go and get those birds so man uh, it, it's been interesting i've i've never had a flusher or never trained one before so kind of figuring it out yeah yeah so was it guiding before field trial and field trial and before guiding or did, did they happen at the same time they happened about the same time okay um yeah i got at uh the shooting grounds that for sale farms mm-hmm. or the uh, shooting grounds there. I was going to get and, into uh, that. Go ahead. Yeah. And uh, how I kind of got into that, I had a good buddy that, that worked there and he was telling me that they needed some guides. And so it was about Thanksgiving. My first hunt I ever did out there was on Black Friday after uh, Thanksgiving about four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, I've been going out there ever since. And it's it's been good. It's a good group of guys. And I mean, that, that place there in Philicago, I mean, it's, it's special grounds to have near here and, and, uh, fortunate to, to be out there and, and get the God. Okay. Four seasons. Well, you know, I, I just left from up there, man. Um, I had a, a quick little afternoon, uh, you know, on their, on their new wobble trap and stuff like that. So what, talk about your, some of some of some of your experiences at Purcell Farms, man, and 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 why that place is so special. Well, I mean, it's I mean, it's a resort getaway here. I mean, you're in I won't say the middle of nowhere, Alabama, but I mean, you're 45 minutes from Birmingham and mm-hmm. all the big cities there um, close by. So it's a it's a neat little place to get away to. My wife and I actually did that one weekend, and uh, we stayed at the motel there they have on site and. One afternoon, she went and got a massage, and I went and shot the sporting clays course out there. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, they have the golf course if you play golf, and so it's it's just a neat place to to go visit. You actually feel like you're you know, hundred miles away from everything. You it's really so quiet, peaceful out there. Yep. Um, the uh, the bird fields they have are you know they're groomed nicely, and mm-hmm. um, it's all you know mostly just sedge grass and pine trees and um, they always get good flying birds and they have a good group of members out there that come hunt and it's uh you it's fun to start getting repeat hunters out there and they 
either one request you or remember something your dogs did while you're out there. And it's just, it's been fun to, to get to do that. That's dope. That's dope. And how long you been doing that? Uh, about four years. Now. Okay. So you've been guiding the whole time. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's... And before, before that, I would, you know, I have friends or family members that would want to take people out and, um, I'd do afternoon hunts either at their place or on, on my family's land. And so I've, I've, you know, taken guys out and kind of guided for other guys, but as far as doing it as, you know, to get paid or free or, um, it's 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 been fun. It's right. been you know, good time. That's that's dope. That's dope. Well, I um I I know I had a blast out there. Um, Blake, Garrett, and Jake, the guy I cannot mm-hmm. remember his last name, but um I will catch it when I look at his card. But um I hung out with them and and but <laughs> I was about to walk out there with my Beretta and. uh Jake was uh, not Jake. Uh, Blake was like, "Hey, you want to try these two new guys?" And he uh, put yeah. a um, a Caesar Garini Tiempo in my hand. Man, mm-hmm. when I tell you, I thoroughly enjoy shooting that particular gun. Like the stuff that they have to offer out there for shooting or for purchase is just, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> oh, I have to catch myself every time I walk in there to get ready for a hunt. Yeah, that gun shelf's right there, and I'll I'll stand there and look at them and. That's about all I do. Is look <laughs> and just one day, <laughs> I don't need to be looking too hard because I might come home with one. Exactly, exactly. Well, that one he put an Elo's D two in my hand. Both of them shot really nicely, but I mean, I I came back drooling, man. I was like, yeah. okay, this is cool. Yeah, I, um, I haven't shot the new wobble course they have out there, but the sporting clay course. I mean, you, it it's just a different presentations and mm-hmm. and the scenery you have to, to shoot in it's it's nice course to, yeah. to shoot it's a fun course too i uh they showed me uh that when they launched the clays that nesting pair setup that they have mm-hmm. yo i could always I, I i always hit one or the other i, I could never yep. <laughs> get both man like <laughs> hey you got to get up with Chuck out there. He'll put you on it now. Oh, <laughs> Tell bro. Tell you how to shoot it. I, I need to get up with Chuck out there. I, um, I, you know, last time I, cause this, that's the second time I've been to Purcell. Um, I think I met him out there last time I went though. And they were pretty, pretty cool people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they're great people out there. And it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's a good thing when they right now. And I, I enjoy it. Right. Right. Well, they they'll get you shooting right, man. I uh, yeah. I thought I was a good shot until a couple of them. I was like, oh, <laughs> let me correct myself. So, look, recently we were in in, in talking about training dogs, man. Um, I transitioned over to uh, I'm not really transitioned. My dog's already broke, but mm-hmm. I'm trying to learn that woe post just so mm-hmm. I can use it on my next dog. Um, and my belief is don't do it on a dog that you can screw up <laughs> do it on a dog that you, like you know what i'm saying like learn it on a yeah. dog that's that you're not gonna mess up yeah. um and so that's why i was doing it on vegas and a lot of folks asked me they were like well you know why are you going back through this if your dog you know is already finished as far as you know wing shot and fall to me i think there are different levels of being finished right like 
especially if you're going to trial or even if you just like the style for guiding or, 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 or just being vain. Like I just don't want my dog to even like, I, I want to take the edge off of, off of that stand after the flush, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that, that, pro, that technique will do it. So yeah, I mean, what's your thoughts on, on, on using the, the Ronnie Smith method of woe posts and stuff like that? Well, for me, you know, I, when I got my first pointer, the guy told me in the next sentence was to go get Farrell Miller's bird dog training video. Mm-hmm. Back then, I, it was a VHS tape. I think it's DVD now. Yep, I have and, that DVD. Yep. Yeah, and so I watched it, you know, I must have watched it a hundred times and knew it word for word. But uh, the way he taught Woe in there, it's similar but different. You know, it was still a post in the ground, and the point of contact was around the neck where he put the chain, and then that's where he also hooked on. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't remember how I got or, you know, learned the Ronnie Smith method, but it kind of was, the same to me, but different is just transition the the point of contact to the flank versus being around the neck. And just that dog not being able to move and realizes, hey, I can't go forward. I can't go back. I just got to stand here. I mean, the whole time you're not saying anything. It just, it seemed to work and it was, and it worked at a, at a quicker pace too, if you were consistent in doing it right. and doing it correctly. Right. And um, I don't know. It was just, it took away the step of transitioning from a barrel or a plank to mm-hmm. already being on the ground. The dog's feet's already on the ground. That's that's one less thing you have to transition from to getting your dog to be completely broke and finished on its game. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was the thing that I, um, I'm interested in, you know, just, I want to simplify what it is. Like, I don't think there's ever enough that you can learn, you know, in this dog thing. Like yeah. there's always a new, and I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I was saying, I mean, every dog you come in contact is going to be different and being able to adapt and change and adjust your training methods to fit that dog. I mean, that only makes you a better, well-rounded trainer in the long run too. So, I mean, I'm constantly talking to people, reading, you know, books, watching videos, learning different things that guys have done to get a dog to a certain place just so you have that that reference point to where it ever comes up in your training you can Mm -hmm. be like oh i need to do you know xyz to get 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 this result right well i I, you know i think this whole thing i i approach a lot of this bird dog stuff like school right like you didn't go to school and stay with the same teacher Mm -hmm. you know all 12 years of, of, of school you usually changed it up even if you went to the same school you usually changed it up well all 12 of those teach all 12 years worth of those teachers were all trying to get you to the same place to graduation that's kind of how i think and about i mean it. some guys you know or some you know some people learned better with group work some people were individual learners in school you know some mm-hmm. people you know and not everybody learned the same way either so right. i mean a dog, you know, they have different personalities and sometimes that dog's personality and your training methods might not mesh and 
it's tough to say, but you might have to send them to someone else to, to get the results they desire. That dog may not ever work for you, mm-hmm. period. And, I mean, that's another one of those things you kind of have to figure out what the dog's going to do and, and how they're going, going to respond to it. And, right make make those decisions to to get the best desired you know end result mm-hmm. now talk about some of your your judging experiences man i don't think we got deep into that like what <laughs> toughest decisions you know what what type of decisions do you have to think about when you're judging a field trial um i, <laughs> I didn't ask you that before yeah well <laughs> um First off, I the first time I got asked to judge was for a, a weekend trial, and um, I was like, "Look, I don't feel like I'm, you know, I'm the right man to be making these decisions." Mm-hmm. But they reassured me, you know, you you've seen a lot of dogs, you you know, you know what a good dog looks like, and we're going to put you with someone who's experienced to help you out your first time. We're not going to leave you out there, you know trying to figure this out on your own. So mm-hmm. that was key. I, the first guy that I judged with, his name was Buddy Morrison, and um, he's from from Tennessee, and shooting dog guy and a great guy. And he was, you know, there to talk me through things and talk through decisions together, and he would listen to me while I saw, you know, dog make this cast, or, you know, X, Y, Z, and we would kind of bounce things off, and I couldn't ask for a better person to person everyone i've judged with they've always been you know older around it more and were a good sounding board to help you know make decisions um right or toughest decisions i mean when you have a bunch of dogs that are all evenly you know matched and splitting hairs i mean it, it's tough to make those decisions sometimes and some dogs make it easy mm-hmm. um, now do you think just, judging has made you a better trainer um, I know what they, uh, being, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, by being up front, right behind the handlers and, see, you know, having a better seat. Cause a lot of times at field trials, you know, if you're in a big gallery and you're back further and you can't always necessarily see everything that's going on as a judge, you get to see a good bit of what's going on and how those dogs are working. and so. It's probably made me a more aware of the things that I want my dogs to to do while they're running mm-hmm. and to work and train towards having those results, you know, show when I am competing. Okay. Okay. You just you just get a different perspective when you're riding up there um, and just see a lot more that, you know, it just it's a different viewpoint for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, you're you're getting a fuller vision, um, you know, and I'm I'm gonna have um, I think that's important to note because I'm gonna have uh, Allison Stewart on. You know, she writes for American Field. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm trying to set that up with her um, soon, and she's a reporter. You know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. so. Like, I wonder what that perspective is like. You know, when you're judging and and how much of it matches the field trial report. You know, and what yeah. you saw in things, because that's the thing in field trials is, is it is about what the judges saw. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy that we run under, you know, 
there's there's guidelines, but it's very subjective to what you know each man's looking for. You know, each woman that's judging man or woman is looking for. Right. Um, and so I think that's important too. That when you do, if you are, you know, they're always looking for people to judge. That seems to be the the one thing these trials are. You know, it's a hard to get somebody to judge, and I can understand that because it takes away a weekend that I can compete and. You know, I have family and all that, so I just can't be gone every weekend and compete somewhere in judges. So you kind of have to limit what you say yes to. But it's also given me the opportunity to meet a lot of guys. And just that networking of meeting these guys, having somebody else to talk to or, you know, hey, I'm having this trouble with this dog. You know, it's just increased the number of people that I know in the in the sport and it's just it's been real beneficial to me just to to have that network of people to to and just to grow and and um just grow in the sport as a new guy in it Mm -hmm. yeah no that's 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 real um and that's what we need man is making connections that's one of the reasons that i you know really enjoy going to them um Mm -hmm. people open up to you man you know, yeah. usually if you want to help, it, it's it's there. You know, it's you just got to ask. Especially if you're, you know, honest with yourself and not going in there with the attitude that you do know everything and that, uh, you know, people are willing, like you said, to open up and to help and and just don't be scared to go go ride a bunch of trials. I mm-hmm. mean, not even compete, just go ride and then watching and talking to people and and making those contacts. Right. And, and that, that helps out a lot too. I mean, well, it, you just have to be, be open, be, be open and, and get there early enough, you know, and to, to help out, you know, handlers, yep. if, if you can, um, yep. you know, if, grab I, I, a shovel and scoop poops. I mean, right. Something uh, that goes a long way. So yep. Helping set up lunch in the, in the, you know, clubhouse or, mm-hmm. you know, helping if, somebody has to saddle several horses you know going and helping them saddle horses right just i mean there's little things that you can do to to you know get the help when you need it and those people will probably be more likely to let you borrow a horse if you don't have one or mm-hmm. you know this gear because i mean there's a lot of gear that's involved in getting and still trawling through between you know saddles and this that and the other collars gps collars so, yep. i mean I mean, it's a whole array of things. The the good thing is, man, that dang Facebook marketplace. When I tell you, <laughs> it's dangerous. <laughs> people give away so much field trial stuff on there. You would be surprised. Yeah, you know. I mean, that's what I, that's what I did. I I I didn't have a saddle or anything. I mean, I didn't have a horse, and I was like, well, these people are asking me to, you know, judge or do this or that. I want to be an asset to them. I don't want them to be like, oh, I got to go saddle that judge's horse or that, you know, right. you know, so I bought me a saddle and saddle pad and, you know, they would leave the horse, you know, tied upside their trailer and hey, I, and then I, you know, that was one less thing they had to, to do for me and one way I can contribute. Right. And then that put also put me one step further into to getting, you know, full there to where I do now have a, a horse and a horse trailer and you know a couple saddles now and that's cool and just, just get i mean it's 
it's been a slow in my timeline, I guess, but um, it's just been a it's just been a slow process to get there. But yeah. hey, I'm getting there. Well, I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm behind you. I mean, you know, my wife is cool with me getting a horse. We just need to move from where I'm at now, which yeah. is, you know, coming sooner than later. And then, um, but I, I also like your perspective on that. I, I shoot, man, I, I, I wouldn't even thought about that. Like at least owning a saddle pad, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and these are all things that come down the road too. You know, I want to make sure that I'm speaking to listeners and saying, look, like, when you get your first bird dog, you ain't got to go and buy a saddle pad. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I mean, like we're I talking said, way further down the line. Into, yeah, that goes back into making those contacts and, right. you know, networking with people. Those people are willing to, to help a young young guy or girl out to, to get to where, you know, they can start in it and mm-hmm. have a good start and then keep growing. And, right. I mean, that's the only way this whole thing's going to keep growing is if, you know, we have people that are, are willing to donate time and resources to, to help us younger people out. And right. I've been fortunate to have, you know, a good mentor and Mike Krause and his daughter, Mary. I mean, they, they've done a lot for me and so, a lot to help me out. Talk, talk about Krause Kennels though, man. Cause I've been mm-hmm. chatting with them, um, a little bit. I, I really like, you know, what they're showing, at least on the social media ends of it. And, and Mike Krause has had a, long-standing history and i think he was a teacher also uh, which is mm-hmm. he was an ag teacher and then a uh, a principal yeah okay um okay so he was in the classroom but him and his brothers brother uh jim Krause, he he passed away a couple of years ago but he was a judge there at the nationals at Ames, and okay. uh they they got into it i, I think the story is they they got into it by doing walking trials and it was supposed to be like a fun weekend trial or a fun trial mm-hmm. where you know after the flush it didn't count but he got to notice the dogs that were winning were steady to you know wing shot and fall or wing a shot and so i well, got their dogs for that and they started winning and then ever since then i mean they're they they say they're all about the dogs and they really are all about the dogs yeah and they're saying it's genetic and hard work equals memorable performances there you go so I uh, um, I like that Tim. I'm gonna steal that one. <laughs> I'm gonna steal that. Hey, you gotta take it up with them. <laughs> hey, I, I, but, I'll ask him. Now, I've I've been but, uh, interested in getting them on the podcast too. Um, you know, Mary, she, his daughter. She's, I mean, she's grown up in it, and she's, you know, mid thirties and young like us, and she's. I mean, she's got some good dogs too now. Yeah, you gotta watch out for her when she goes to the line. But okay, she's also active in the clubs and and you know on has membership roles or in there are you know leadership roles in the clubs up there and they uh they got a good thing going they got a good thing all right well i'm glad you say that man i'm i'm definitely trying to get them on there um so let's um you know i i had a few more thoughts that i wanted to to kind of go you know over with you but you are sending me um and I, I i i can't thank you enough but you're sending me tom word's book tell me about that book what what uh which one is it and, and talk about it a little bit uh the one i'm sending you is gentlemen let it go and it's a novel of field trials um what does he have five or six books i've i've read them all uh 
I wasn't, I'm not much of a reader, like sitting down and reading a book tough to me. Just, right. I just, I don't know. It's just not my thing, but those were on bird dogs and plantation hit, you know, plantation life. And they're all fiction, but I mean, you feel like you're there and being around the sport is just as little as I have. Some of those stories don't seem too, you know, too far from to fiction, but, right. uh, they're, uh, the one I'm sending you, I'd gotten an extra copy of sent to me. And it's about a, it says it's about a Virginia farm boy who was orphaned by a car crash and he goes to a worn out dog trainer and a worn out doctor and they have a special dog that they, they get and they're trying to get it to the nationals and compete at the nationals. That's dope. Okay. So right. it's just, I, I mean, I like seeing Tom Ward stuff, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I really like seeing his stuff in American field. Um, you know, and, and so his books were next on my list. So I, I just wanted to put that out there, but thank you. Cause yeah, you know, I'm, I'm excited about his stuff. Um, you know, when we, when we also talk about American field and writing and stuff like that, you know, it's going to, um, it's, it's going digital now. What do you think? Yeah. That's how do you think that's going to affect the bird dog community? Because that's you know that's that thing you look forward to every week. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I got stacks of them in my house. I think I've sent you stuff from other uh-huh. magazines. There were field trial magazines. Yep. So, I mean, I keep them, um, and they're almost you know when they come, they're they're prized possessions now. Right. You know? <laughs> Don't mess it up. Let me read it. <laughs> you know, type thing. And so, I mean, I hate that there's a possibility that it's going away from print or even if it is going away from print um, because so many of those issues like the Christmas one, the one that comes out right after the Nationals or right before with all the dog profiles. I mean, guys really like, you know, getting those and holding them and actually looking at them and all. But, I mean, Uh, I guess it's it's the way of the times everything's going to digital and you may can get it quicker and you know, it be there, you know, that day versus having to wait for it to come in the mail. So, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it's just, I have, I hate to say it, it's just the way things are going now and everything's going digital. And, right. and I feel like this is just another thing that's transitioning that way. Yeah. Well, I have gotten Christmas issues from way back when man and them things, those are like, I mean, like all my American fields are, are prized possessions. Like, but it's so interesting looking at the the format change, right? Like they were so mm-hmm. big back then, mm-hmm. and then them shrinking down. And before there were, you know, when I when I read, you know, an issue about, you know, the when trials were held at when the Continental was held at equipment and stuff like that, like. The, the the issue the content in those issues I mean it spanned everything from not mm-hmm. just hunting or or not just field trials but fishing you know what I'm saying and all kinds of other products yeah. just a different magazine and so it's it's interesting seeing the transition from that to just being cut down to bird dogs now to mm-hmm. being online like it's, it's interesting man yeah and I mean I think think too I mean there's just so many ways of getting this content now with, you know, social media. I mean, 
as soon as the trial's over, the results are posted online right. and pictures and all that. And so people are getting it a lot quicker and it may have lost its grandeur some by, you know, because of that. And right. I mean, people, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's, you hate to see that it's going to that, but I think it's just the way the times are, are now. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, you know, I'm going to hold on to, to what I got and make, they might be bedtime stories for my kid, you know, growing up, That's I got right. a son. So, you know, I, I might yeah. make it cause it's almost legendary now. You know, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just that type of dude. Like, I'm like, dang, like, you know, when I, you know, um, I have an issue where they were talking about, uh, CV Rex, you know, from way back in the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was the, first pointer that really challenged the idea of a straight 12 o'clock tail like when that became something in fashion mm-hmm. and uh seeing that you know what i'm saying like seeing that in the in an old american field like it's almost like like a like i said like mythology or something like that yeah um yeah i mean that that's part of the history of our sport i mm-hmm. mean you you see those reports in there and and just the the way those dogs ran, the performance they had, and then you finally get to see a picture of them and all that. I mean, and the people that are in those photos and that, you know, many of them long past, but played an important role in getting field trials where they are today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's neat to see that history for sure. Right. Right. Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, studying it and, and digesting it so for a whole bunch of stuff but you know man I, I i really think that you've got a lot of very 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 unique experiences um again to be so young and and to be or our, i i guess our generation like so young mm-hmm. makes you sound like a baby but well, I'm, I'm 32 <laughs> yeah like i'm 30 we're we're not little kids either but to be i guess at the forefront of our younger generation let's put it that way because we've got another generation Mm -hmm. that's following um Mm -hmm. that are looking at all this content and reading it and you know like we're not like old heads but we've been doing it enough years for there to be somebody else to follow up now so anyway you've got a guy come behind you and, and, and say, Hey man, like, I really like what you're doing. How do I get into it? You know, how do I get into field trial and what, where do I even go? You know, I'm a, a kid like me. I grew up in Atlanta. You know what Atlanta's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> but yeah. I want to do field trial. What do you say? I mean, I'd hope I'd say, you know, get in the truck and let's go. That's that's the the only way these people are, you know, really going to get the full experience. Right. And, and that's, I mean, that's why you have to hang around these, these older guys or, you know, somebody that's been in it for a while. So you do learn. And almost like we're talking about with the field, you know, you get that history of, of what's all involved and reasons still trials are the way they are by being around those guys and listening and helping them and them showing you the ways of, you know, how to do things. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's 
that's the main way of, of, of learning to do this. But it's, you know, there's, there's resources out there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, content, whether it's on YouTube or the internet or, you know, stride away or somewhere like that, that, you know, you can go read, but really you just got to get out there and, and do it and, or, you know, at least be a participant in watching mm-hmm. and learning so that you you can get to that level and then when you're ready to purchase your your dog talk to these guys that are running and talk to the guys that are winning with dogs there you go that's that's key you're right go ahead uh just seeing what they're running and what what they're seeing because i mean the guys that are winning and winning at the top they're studying pedigree mm-hmm. and they they and studying dogs and they know which combos and which dogs and and most of the time, they'll direct you in the direction to get that first pup if that's what you want. Right. Um, or start a dog or however, you know, you want to get into it. And then once you get it, just soak up, you know, anything training-wise. Go to these guys again and ask them, if, you know, hey, I have a problem. My dog's doing this. What, you know, what what do I need to do? And let them help them and, you know, just helping you grow in the sport i mean that's 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 the way it's gonna take and then dogs don't learn in the kennel so right. take it out get you know take it hunting and get it into wild birds i mean i've last year was the first year in nine years i didn't go to either south dakota or kansas hunting and hey i missed it but it's fun seeing those dogs learn and get into wild birds and, mm-hmm. i mean just just take them and go do yep I agree. Um, that dang Kansas, man, that was that that was a real trip for me. I, I want to I think for my own sake and my own experience, like I need to get up to the Dakotas and I'm going to go to Canada when the borders open back up. And I yeah. want to train some up there as well. You know, yeah. that's that's one of my goals. That's one of my bucket list things to go. They ever open up the trials back up there and open the border back up to get across. I mean, that would. That'd definitely be a bucket list item for oh, me. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I I, I got to do that, man. Um, hey, Kansas has whooped my butt <laughs> on birds. Oh shoot! Well, the first year, but the second year, we we finally were able to, to put it together a little bit. But, really? Yeah. We're, um, <laughs> we're we're about to jaw hunt in Kansas. Um, we're more in the the first year we went around the Hayes area. Okay. And I mean, we we were hunting all Weehaw land and public land, so we every day we'd just pick an area we were going and drive. Right. And then uh, the second year, we were more in the north central part of the state and had had a little bit better luck up there. But okay, okay. So this is this is is one of my last questions, man. And this is the the uh, question that another buddy of mine that guides hunts. Um, we were talking about this. Can you guide land on public grounds? Like, can you guide on public grounds and have the expectation that that person won't come back to that spot? <laughs> I, we were thinking about that, and I'm like, what? well, I know some states won't allow you to to profit or be a guide on public some, land. Yeah, some don't. I know, I know there's probably people that push that or do it, but uh, if it was you know, legal and there were enough birds around 
I mean, I, it'd probably be hard. I don't know how you would police that unless you called them there or, you know, kept them from, you know, dropping a pin or marking on their GPS where you are. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 well, I heard that. And then I heard on an, on another, uh, podcast it was a fishing podcast but the guy Mm -hmm. was basically talking about how when he guides people he actually doesn't uh he doesn't take clients that are from his state Hmm. you see what i'm saying like kind of kind of interesting yeah i mean I've, i've i've been deep sea fishing before and i can remember one time i mean it was before we even had you know smartphones that you know, had GPS, GPS capability and marking and all, right. but they wouldn't let you have your phone or if you had a GPS unit, which I guess back then more people had like just the handheld unit, they wouldn't let you have anything like that out. Or if they saw you have it out while you're fishing, they, you know, I don't know what they would have done, but they, you know, told you you couldn't ha- bring out anything like that. But mm-hmm. now with, you know, smartphones having, you know, it all kinds of mapping on X, everything like that. I mean, it'd be hard to to know if a guy was taking pictures of the dogs working birds hunting, or if he was marking right. a hot spot. I mean, that uh, that'd be a tough. I mean, you would hope that people would respect your livelihood and your areas, and not over you know harvest from those areas. But yeah. I mean, I, we, people. we were talking about it because like i said some states do discourage it some states will let you do it um mm-hmm. you know and i'm just kind of like what is the work around it because it's totally public you can't tell them not to come yeah you yeah. know but it, it it just it it strikes me um yeah that's a uh a, a tricky one I don't, I don't know how you would approach that or yeah or or keep that from happening because like you said it is public land and i don't know i think as a hunter you use that opportunity to to learn the cover type to look for mm-hmm. in the area you know you know topography or whatever that those birds those elevations those birds are living on and then transition that to going somewhere new and hunting right. and looking for those things and going for that chase and thrill of finding a new area of your own. I right. mean, that's the way I would, you know, look at it. I was like, oh, this is what they're finding birds in. This is, you know, these areas that quasi, let me, let me go find that somewhere else. And right. If I see birds there, hey, we're on to something. Yeah. And just, I'm too much of a kind of do-it-yourself type, you know, hunter. <laughs> I, uh, I wouldn't. I don't know. I'd feel bad about copying somebody or going back to their spots like that. Uh, you know, I just, I, we, it came up in conversation. I was like, how do you prevent that? You don't, I mean, mm-hmm. you just wish and pray. Well, yep. I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm glad to talk to you, man. And yeah, it's been great. You know, your perspective is, it's something very necessary because on this podcast, I don't, I don't usually get guys that are like, you know, less than five years in to field trialing, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I like the relativity that you're, that you're bringing to the table. I mean, just, you know, taking it at a time, like you mentioned earlier, it, it's been a process for you to get to where you are, you know, and the opportunities, but that's what it's about. You know, it's not an mm-hmm. overnight thing. No, no. And it's, it's something you're going to have to want and work for too. I mean, right. it, it, 
takes work. I mean, it's getting up on the weekends, you know, especially as hot as it is right now in Alabama and Georgia. I mean, Mm -hmm. getting up on the weekends before sunup and getting there to work dogs right at daylight and quit. And I mean, being on the road, I mean, I was up in Kentucky this weekend and bringing puppies back and, you know, helping people out just to, to, to make my way to get, you know, further into the sport. Mm -hmm. It's been good to me and I hope it continues for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you mean to tell me you didn't come back with not nan new dog yet? <laughs> hey, it's tough. I'm already thinking about that next pointer. I won't. Hey, there you <laughs> I go. Got, I, I love a young dog, and I got. I mean, this little female, she's two, and I'm I'm ready for that next young one now to bring up and try to try to better and get going. So yeah, yeah. You always gotta be looking for the future. Yeah. Now, all right. So this is my last question. All right. And I'll let you go. We're good, man. (laughs) Are you, we've got, I think we have similar lines in our dogs. I think so. Did we, did Um, we, did we do that? Look at pedigrees? I don't know if we did. I do have uh, the black and white pointer I have. I won, um, he's the one I got with mostly. And this week, uh, I guess it's the last trial I went to. It was on, uh, it was on Valentine's right before all this COVID stuff hit. And uh, I ran him in the shooting dogs. And I've been guiding with him hard because my short hair went down with a sickness and all. And, and he, the pointer had to pick up slack. But um, I placed third. But he's a LG G-Force and then a uh, a Rock Acre Blackhawk on, the, okay. on yep. the bottom side. So That's what some, we have in common. Yep. Yeah. Okay. He's a, he's a good good dog and then the the female i have too she's a uh sunny hill joe out of a whippoorwill wild again okay yeah. all right all right so you got some you got some power going on in there man uh, yeah we're we're trying to figure it out like i said she was derby this year i didn't get the runner as many times as i wanted to um but i ran her three times four times and uh she finished Oh, I ran her in two. Well, I ran her in two. This way, I ran her in two Derby stakes, and uh, and then I ran her in a shooting dog, just to give her some more experience. And mm-hmm. I finished her in all of them, but the shoot, shooting dog stakes, I couldn't get her to cross the big creek, and that goes into having a good scout. I tried to move on to let my scout help me out, and right. that didn't happen. But we move on. So. Right. <laughs> hey. I know we're we're cutting up on time. No, we're you're good. I, I, I thought I was holding you up. You're good. <laughs> no, no, but uh, her her first time I ran her in the trial, I was, I mean, I was nervous as can be, and um, hey, she was running a good lick, and my brace mate picked up. His dog wasn't getting much done, and so she had the whole course herself was handling good. And I was like, please just finish this thirty minutes. Please just finish this thirty minutes. I kid you not, one minute left. I see her, well, I made a mistake. She was going down a tree line on a big field, and I, where she was going, you, the judges couldn't see her, and they hadn't quite got there yet. So I was trying to call her back to get her on another line. I called her back and sent her, and she took a few good steps, and I saw that nose turn around, that tail start stiffening up. I thought, man, this would be good. I have one minute left. Have a find right here at the end. Last impression on the judge, a good first run. I went, got off my horse, and I saw her quiver, and I woed her. 
as soon as I got woe out of my mouth, she busted on the <laughs> and went running through the tree line left and right. And the judge was like, Michael, time's up. I was like, thank you. And here I am trying to catch my birds. One of them birds was in a in the green field that was off to the side. Oh. She got it in her mouth, and she took off running the complete opposite direction. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it was a horse race. I was running trip right beside her on the horse, trying to get her to stop. And finally she stopped and I just jumped on her. So she would take <laughs> off. Again. I was like, if I don't leave a last <laughs> right. right it, look, but, when, uh, I, when I tell you it's, it's, uh, I think, is it cause they sense that you nervous there? I, I don't know. I'm I mean, like that first it, trial, man, it, it is nerve wracking. It is. I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I thought I had it going good there, right. at least just on race. And uh, I was like, everybody's watching me chase my dog running with a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but that it, is hey, silly. It, it happens, and I can laugh about it now. And we, we just went back to the drawing board mm-hmm. and kept working. Yeah. Well, and that and that's what it's about. And those pups, man. I mean, they. They get better over time. Now, have have you had run into the issue of your dog getting tired of pigeons? Uh, yeah. I mean, they okay. They can get kind of get sour on pigeons, and um, I, I I try not to do too much bird work uh, here in like this time of year, just mm-hmm. to keep from that. I mean, if I if I do it once or twice a month, that's that's probably about it. Um just to try to keep that. And I mean, they'll, they'll kind of sour on pen raised birds too. I mean, mm-hmm. if you get too many of them or not strong flyers or just run around them, I mean, you can tell they kind of sometimes, I mean, a dog will lack a little bit something. So it's nice to go put them on wild birds somewhere and get them piped back up and right. get them good again. And then you may just need to take a break with the dog. Let them, let them take a vacation and let them see other dogs work and, Hey, I'm not getting out. Why am I not getting out? And that might tighten them up too. Just mm-hmm. give them a little bit of a, a little bit of a vacation and yeah. let them kind of take a break and think about things a little bit and see. And I mean, keep them on the chain while you're working other dogs. And mm-hmm. They see that and kind of build that drive back up, and they, they'll they'll do good. I mean, they need a good. vacation every now and then. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I. Uh... You know, I got pigeons or whatever, and at this point, they just sitting, mm-hmm. you know, sitting back there because yeah. it's way too hot. But my <laughs> oh, dog, yeah. he he just he's like, man, I'm over these dang pigeons. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, and and we were running this past weekend um, at my buddy's, uh, my buddy Shane's spot, and he's got wild birds on his property, and um, we were doing this photo shoot um, mm-hmm. for. Um, a magazine that I've got coming up and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize we were trying to take him on kind of a longer route than, than normal to, to, to get to these other birds that we knew were in the, uh, in this one part of his property. Well, and hopefully it would kind of tire him down and he'd start thinking that was my thought process. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we get there and about halfway there, he was on the upwind side of the wind in a, 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 a covey, of, not a covey, uh, two wild birds head flushed right in front of him. And he was like, mm. Oh shit. Like crap. You know, he, he yeah. just didn't wind it. 
but then went right back in there to where they landed. And I guess they land and ran off tightened up like a stone, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that I just never see on pigeons with him. You know, pigeons. He's like, ah, I'm all right. <laughs> and they, they they get to know the game too. I mean, they know that's not really what what we're after. And you know, those wild birds. I mean, that's what makes the dog right there. And mm-hmm. I mean, when you get a dog on on wild birds, I mean, you know it. And those birds teach that dog now. I mean, that's that's a fact. And I mean, this time of year too, down down in the south where we are. I mean. Thinning is terrible right oh, yeah. now. I mean, it's with terrible. everything blooming, the green grass. I mean, just the heat. Scent cone evaporates, you know, quicker, shorter. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that are negatively impacting the the thinning conditions this time of year. So, I mean, can't hold it hold it too much on them with pigeons and and the weather that we have here in the south. But mm-hmm. um, it's uh. I tend to to focus more on just keeping them conditioned to where I don't have to do too much of that when season comes around, you know, riding them or riding my four wheeler or off horse or I've done it off the bicycle like you've done. And uh, that's, that's been interesting at times when cats have ran out in front of you in the neighborhood. Cause I, w- I live in the city. So, I mean, I don't have, you know, a ton of place right here in my backyard or work dogs, but, right. um, just keeping them in shape this time of year and just keep them mentally sharp and keep them on their, uh, you know, yard work. And I mean, you, you train a dog this entire life. So. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's, it's never ending. It is never ending my friend. And uh, that's why I was like just learning something. And then I don't think it was coincidence that you reached out to me as I'm, you know, reteaching myself this, this, uh, Ronnie Smith method, man. I mean, it's all about continuing to learn. Um, and that's yep. just something that I really want. I think I do it enough anyway, but I really want to make sure I'm always doing is driving home that point of education. You know what I'm saying? Keep mm-hmm. yourself educated on the bird dogs. Mm-hmm. So I mean, reading that dog and then by you reading that dog and being able to pull out the right tool out of your knowledge to, to get those results. I mean, we got to better ourselves as much as we want to better the dogs. So. Mm-hmm. You know, getting to know and, and, and their components. I mean, the thing I like about that wool post, if I'm being totally real, I, I can carry a mallet, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. A little, uh, three foot, uh, uh, piece of rebar. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And two check it's, cords it's, and I got, and I'm good. Yeah. It's, it's simple. There's not, you know, a lot of moving parts to it. And you don't have to carry a barrel or a plank everywhere with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 it's very, very, very effective. I mean, it. Yeah. I, I was impressed with it. I, I am. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to start my next dog on that. And, I mean, it's weird. Yeah. I, I do it at a food bowl, though. So I'll take that little wonder lead and put it around mm-hmm. my pup's flank. Mm-hmm. And before they start eating, I, you know, just kind of nudge them and it'll still stop. Yeah. So that's just a very easy transition to woe post, you know, later yeah. on. Yeah. I think the, the last 
three corning dogs I've had. That's that's the method I've used. Yeah, is 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 that wofo. And um, I'll I'll still you know put them up on a barrel. I'm not I'm not necessarily teaching woe on that. Yes, they're learning to stand still, but they're also you know in a constructive way. My hands are getting on them. They get used to me. Mm-hmm. You know checking their feet if they get birds on them, you know, lifting, touching, you know, different places, putting collars on and off and just my hands being around them and that being a good thing. And then, I mean, you can really staunch one up, by, you know, starting up there and then transitioning to when they're on birds and I'll just keep stroking them up, keeping them, you know, high and tight. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, you'll get, get the desired results you want. Well, that's... But as far as putting that foundation, that woe foundation on them, I, I use the Wofo. Right. Well, that that's the method that I um I think I'm gonna you know stick to and and go with from this point forward. Um, like I said, I got my barrel. I love that thing and and all of that, but yeah. I just want to learn something new. Yeah, and like I said, these are all just tools to have, and mm-hmm. they each have their place and yeah. different ways to use them. And what hey, if you get the results you want by doing whatever methods. That's really all that comes down to is you sticking to something that you like and you get the desired results you want. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's all good. Well, and and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you say that. And I want to end on that note. I mean, for all of us younger guys, man, there are so many different training books out there, right? It's really about the way that you, the way that you see fit to work the dog, you know, if, if you like the way that's that trainer is doing stuff and his, his track record speaks to it, Hey, run it, you know, um, consistency. consistency. That's all. I think all of their, they're like 50 million different good ways of training. It's really mm-hmm. about just, just pick one and go with it and stick with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's what the dog's looking for. It's looking for an alpha leader. Yep. And if you're, wavering in your your role i mean they're gonna try to take over i mean that's just in their nature and so if you're consistent and fair and honest with them i mean they're going to accept you as leader and you'll have a good thing going with them yep 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 i agree well mr kennedy leave us with something good how do we how do we find you how do we get a hold of you if folks want to reach out to you and leave it leave us with something (laughs) good man Well, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I don't, I don't always post a lot. I like looking at everybody's posts, but um, that's a good place to reach out for me. Um, it's MJK0006, and um, and just get out there and do something with your dog and, and have fun with it. Yep. We need we need all the help right now we can and keeping and growing the sport and keeping the tradition alive. And just thank you for everything you do to to help promote and support that well look man we 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 all got to stick together man and and i like knowing that we have a a growing body of of you know younger guys our age that'll be the leadership you know down the road yep. i do um that's what it's gonna take yes that's, that's younger guys take. getting in and and not going rogue hold it up where you know i think this you, you still try once i hope my girls mm-hmm. compete in that one day and that this sport sticks around so they get the opportunity to absolutely absolutely well it's 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 our duty man and, and i think you're doing a great job 
Um, I always enjoy talking to you, man, and, and you sending me those stories. Um, you know, we didn't we we did get into it, but I I, I want to um I'm gonna at least post it on the in the in the podcast uh uh images and stuff like that. The Scout Henry Richardson story. We didn't get into it, but um mm-hmm. you know, you've sent me stories like that, the man ran stuff. I mean, you just I, you full up full of stories, and I enjoy talking to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I'm glad, glad I could provide a little bit of content. I hope somebody gets something out of all this, but uh, I enjoy it. And hopefully, one day we'll either run against each other at a field trial, or at least get to share a field together. And like yeah. I say, you're always welcome to come come down here and and work dogs with me. I'd enjoy that. Well, get thank you on a you. horse and all that. So it's it's here for you if you if you. If you want it. Oh, I, I'm definitely coming. Now that that's that I'm going to, um, you know, stick to my word on because you're not that far from me. So I mean, it makes no yeah. sense why I can't get out to you. And hey, if we got to wear our mask, we'll wear our mask. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. We'll, Look, we'll I just stay socially distanced. We'll stay socially distanced and wear the mask. <laughs> I'd like to follow the yeah. rules, man. <laughs> yeah. I hear that. I hear that. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it goes this season, but. I hope hopefully we get to compete and yep. hope to see you there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We will. We're going to make it a point too, man. Well, guys, that is another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast with Michael Kennedy. And we will catch y'all next week. All right, guys. I want to give my final farewells to, to, to you guys that have been listening to the episode thus far. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, both parts of it and of course I need to end by thanking my title sponsor Onyx Hunt. I also need to thank Yukonuba Sporting Dog for for and, and both companies for having such a monumental impact um, you know, on the sporting dog world and, and, and the outdoor culture and things like that. I also need to direct you guys to going and checking out the Minority Outdoor Alliance. We are building steam um, and pretty soon, man, coming into fall, we will be full steam ahead with some you know, different initiatives and events and things like that, guys. So just stay tuned to that. Go check out the social media. Go, um, you know, uh, follow the Minority Outdoor Alliance Instagram page. We'll have a website for you pretty soon. Um, we just got a lot of lot of things going on, a lot of good stuff in the works. Um, I also want to, of course, thank my affiliates, Garmin and Lion Country Supply. Um, and, you know, there might be another little surprise for you. Um, you know, I'm hoping next episode. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of play it by ear and see how it comes up. But anyway, guys, thank y'all for listening. Um, thank y'all for being patient with me. I've been doing a whole bunch of work and thank you all that have reached out, um, today, matter of fact, and, and, and yesterday and, and told me that you picked up my, uh, gun dog magazine, uh, article you know you that's out right now um so with that being said guys um and and i'll talk about this on the next episode that particular article but with that being said guys i want i want to send you all off to a wonderful evening or morning or, or afternoon whenever you're listening to this and uh we'll catch you next week all right thanks